All right, looks like it's working. So um, we'll wait for some of our folks to get here. I'm gonna throw a few things up in the Jumbotron and um, we'll give it a few minutes. Look at here, look at Joseph, always first and early. I love it, I love it. Good to see you guys here. Um, hi, Joseph, I'm gonna bring you up to speak. I'm not sure whether or not this is, you know, one of your days off or not. Um, we certainly understand if you are not able to talk, um, but we've got some some great stories and topics um, to um, get started with. And I am going to put a few things up in the Jumbotron. And um, while I do that, um, Soul Sister, I'm going to give you an opportunity to um, say hello and um, maybe talk about a few topics that um, are on your radar today and then we'll give Joseph an opportunity to say something while we wait for the room to populate. <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, how is everyone and I hope everyone had a great weekend. Good to see you here Joseph and so you know we we can't stop having the conversation about dark money and um, I found a really interesting story uh, this morning in regards to uh, Gigi Stone. Uh, she was a nominee for um, the FCC. And, and this article really delved down into uh, what happened, why she was not um able to get the votes necessary necessary to um, hold that position and who was behind it. So, you know, it, it's an, <laughs> it's a never ending intricate web, but things all seem to be um, related as they are with dark money and the GOP and who they have ties to. Uh, I do want to ask you guys to just bear with me. My dogs are, uh, a little harder to silence during this warm weather. So you might hear them in the background. It's just regular everyday life stuff. Oh, well, they're just <laughs> part of the family exactly. and that is fine. Um, and I'm so glad that you brought that story to my attention. Cause you know, I just find stories here and there that, you know, um, tie into the dark money thread. So I'm always happy to, um, see other stories because the connections as I said it's like a labyrinth yeah. it's just yeah. so perversive and profound and I think only when we take you know like stories like this little bitty ones and kind of peel away the layers and as you can see one of the first things that I put in the Jumbotron is you know kind of a little graphic <laughs> that I did I'm just trying different ones to help me kind of see and visualize how these work and of course that one was based off of the story that you sent me um and you know the key organization i will say you know the front organization in there was what accountability yes. um, uh exactly uh, americans accountability foundation yeah. foundation yep. yeah and it is so funny because there's another graph i'm working on from another story and this one um has to do with the 85 fund and right. um, like when you start looking at it and, and the way I start pulling out some of these names is, is the stories because um, like Leonard Leo, 
donated money to the donors trust um and then the donors trust donated money to the 85 fund which was formerly the honest elections project ha ha right, right. okay and then the 85 fund then sent money out to these front uh, or astroturf um organizations uh turning point usa right. uh center project which is a george mason university um, based um, um, group or think tank. Um, again, here's this word, accountability and civics trust. Yeah. Now, this one is backed by um, the uh, former acting AG for Trump, Matthew Whitaker. So, yeah, yeah uh, we trust that accountability and civics. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then another one called Government Accountability Institute, which is backed by Steve Bannon and the Mercers. And they, I think that all of these connections came when I was reading a story, I need to go back in my timeline, um, that there is yet another state that has withdrawn from ERIC which that's the election, um, I can't remember all the, the names, I'll find it in a moment. But it's, it's a voluntary, it's a, a bipartisan organization, basically a, a database that allows for all of the states uh, to kind of house and share certain election um, data. And that is to help prevent um, election fraud mm -hmm. like um, so that say for instance someone moved from Ohio to Tennessee and when you're in this database um, you know he moves to Tennessee he applies you can check the database in Ohio was he registered is he still registered there it prevents fraud but they're trying to you know withdraw from it so first of all it, it becomes really unreliable because you know not enough people are participating in it and then point to it being a faulty system and it's the same type of behavior that they continue over and over it's that's their mo to go into organizations institutions and um you know systems that have been working for a while although not perfect pretty good mm -hmm and start purposely taking the wheels off, breaking the levers and complaining about it not working while they are continually undermining any efforts to cause it to work and perform better. Right. It's really sick and nefarious, but that's what they do. And we need to keep, like I said, calling them out, calling out the names, the organizations that are doing this. Because again, like I said, if you looked at the names, they sound very, you know, uh, benevolent and, you know, benign, but they are very nefarious and um, very active in undermining our democracy. So that's why I want us to, you know, kind of keep talking about it. Right. And uh, so that was a great story. And then, um, you know, of course, we have Erdogan, who is over now um, having to have an election runoff. And he is so terrified. I, I pray that his uh, opponent wins yes. because it, it spells danger for um, democracy in the long term for Turkey if um, 
he if Erdogan stays there and, you know, when um, any democracy that we lose um, is um, makes our own democracy right. uh, less strong and 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 more in danger. Mm -hmm. So I see that as really kind of a parallel with what's going on here in our own country. I mean, we absolutely know that if our current president is not reelected, if a Republican, anyone, which certainly Trump, but any one of them, our democracy is in danger. So, you know, and with Ukraine there, the war has been going on for over a year now, and it is because of their you know, form of government being a democracy. So democracies across the globe are in danger and our own democracy here is slowly being, you know, um, destroyed and, you know, assaulted. So I think it's real important that we keep talking about um, where it is being done because um, there's not one place, one area. They, you know, you and I, when we talked earlier on the phone, just trying to get our strategy, our <laughs> stories for today, we talked about how they're busy in the education system yes, because they have all of these front groups. You know, sometimes they, they all have their own little pet peeve uh, projects and initiatives um, that they rally around and, you know, or, or, or oppose. And they spent a lot of money to oppose this nominee. They did. And, um, so, yeah. And so it's not just the things that, you know, they are trying to push, but it's also the good things that they put a lot of money and effort behind opposing, yeah. like in some of my digging into stories, I went back to a story that I don't think really actually resonated with me at the time when it was actually happening mm -hmm. here. But the fact that Americans for Prosperity, which now, you know, that is a big uh, Coke money funded organization that's basically their network with chapters in every state. Right. And so they then fund other organizations like Moms for Liberty and, and other type of organizations, and they get behind different initiatives. Well, at one point, like in 2018, they got behind an initiative here in Tennessee to stop the expansion of public transit, you know, right. and uh, they were quite successful. So you tell me, how do organizations work so effectively at getting people uh, rallying them to support causes that are harmful to them or you know um, they're they're really good yeah. um, and they tap into a lot of ideology that captures people in one area say their religious ideology or their hate for you know LGBTQ uh, community and they find a way to tap into the things that they can can um, center on and get them to rally with them on something, again, that they're really trying to squash or hurt or change or make their voice the one. And these people often help, and it's often um, harmful to them or those in their own communities. So it's really sad, but this is what they're doing. Yeah. And um, I'm going to let um, Joseph... Um, okay. 
have a, a word and share with on, what's on his mind and uh, welcome anyone else who has entered the space. I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us today. Of course, this is our Monday news chat and um, we're just talking about various topics and things that have gone on uh, that we need to stay abreast of. And we're keeping that common thread of dark money um, going and pulling and because it's absolutely working in all of these um, areas. And then, of course, you know, we have some top stories that I'm hoping that some other folks uh, who I know really are delving into those uh, topics and, and issues will come in and join us later. I think, of course, we have, you know, stories about the border. I think it's interesting that, you know, they raised so much hoopla, but the numbers are actually lower. Um, also, um our dark money tie into the Supreme Court and, um, you know, all of the ProPublica, you know, reporting and other investigative reporting that has uncovered all of the money tie-ins uh, that um, Harlan Crow has made to Justice Thomas and, you know, other people and, and buying influence. And the um, a congressional investigation sent a letter to him to like get him to you know provide documentation as to just how much support he has given in what areas and he sent a letter back saying nah no thanks and like you know y'all can't control y'all have no control over this so I think that's interesting and we should keep talking about it because um you know it's affecting our democracy. And then, of course, the debt ceiling that Kevin McCarthy and his crew keeps trying to play with. And it's so dangerous. And I know Susan keeps calling out the uh, crazy um, reporting that's being done on this because um, people need to absolutely understand that is, this is not about them being fiscally conservative or caring about the debt. This is about them creating a scenario that will give them the absolute best talking point and campaign um, issue that they could hope for. And that is a horrible recession. And again, another example of them breaking things and then pointing the finger at other people. And we need to keep calling this out and t telling folks what they're doing because I think that some people uh, still unfortunately just kind of read um, the stories and reports as they are reported and um, are not able to get the full picture so I did post the story and there are many others so again I want to thank you guys for being here and um, looking forward to hearing from Joseph. I'm going to send out some other invites. I hope you guys come up and join us in the conversation. Bring any stories you feel, you know, um, that uh, are important for us to know about, talk about um, to the conversation. So, Joseph, go ahead. Thank you, Ms. D. Hi, Soul Sister. Hope you hope you both are are doing well this Monday. Um. You know, I, I wanted, I, there's a couple of topics I want to talk about, and I'll try to be as, as brief as I can. Uh, first thing is about the, uh, the border issue, uh, because, uh, well, I feel like I was kind of successful in some uh, good trouble over the weekend. Um, my, uh, you know, 
one of the seats I am trying to flip to blue next year is uh, the California's 40th congressional district, which is just down the street from me, represented by the uh, detestable young Kim. And uh, she put out on Friday a video making a completely false and outrageous claim that there had been tens of thousands of border crossings uh, since Title 42 expired, which to me was just nothing but a blatant dog whistle and extremely hypocritical of her with her being an immigrant herself. And by the way, she benefited from chain migration. She was able to come to this country because her sister married an American serviceman. So on Saturday, I retweeted it and I quoted it and I pointed out, of course, her blaring hypocrisy. And I tell you, she got ratioed. I mean, and it's still going on. Um, just people from all over just pointing out her massive hypocrisy. And it is. It's a massive hypocrisy. It's her white adjacency. And it's just really she's targeting Latinos. And her district, uh, let's just say, really benefits from immigrant labor because there are many communities in her district that are um, upper middle class or, you know, at flat out just, you know, wealthy communities that, of course, benefit from immigrants from, you know, housekeeping, babysitting, gardeners, landscapers, um, you know, care for senior citizens, things like that. Her district would absolutely collapse without the benefit of immigrants. So for her, an immigrant herself to be putting out these racist dog whistles, I mean, is the height of hypocrisy. So it's going to be my job to really call her out on her hypocrisy and, of course, the white adjacency of it. Because, because um, you know, there were a lot of discussions on the timeline last week about white adjacency uh, after what happened in, in Texas the previous, you know, uh, last weekend. And, um, you know, white adjacency puts all of us at at risk. It doesn't matter who's doing it. It puts all of us at at risk. So I, I'm going to be uh, so focusing on that. Also, I saw something a little while ago that uh, I think we need to uh, all pay attention to because CNN is trying to create this false narrative about grocery prices again. They put up something that supposedly somewhere bread was seven dollars a loaf. I tell you, I live in Southern California where generally things are more expensive than most of the rest of the country. Last loaf of bread I bought cost $2.99. Um, they're really trying to push the false narrative like they were, was it, was it last year when uh, supposedly about milk prices and um, of course, you know, recently we had, you know, the price of, of eggs had, had gone up a little bit because of, of bird flu. So we really have to be vigilant right now and push back against these false narratives because we know that in general the media is not going to be on our side. So when we see this stuff on the timeline, we got to call it out because, I mean, to say that bread is $7 a loaf is absolutely ridiculous. I, I, I mean, if bread was $7 a loaf, I wouldn't be buying it. 
you know, I'd, I'd be learning how to, to make, my make my, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that, 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 that's just bizarre. I mean, like, okay, I get if you're, you know, if you're paying $7 for bread, you're probably buying two loaves at, at a time, you know, say you got like a large family or something like that. But to say that it's $7 a loaf is, is just absolutely uh, ridiculous. And real quick about the, uh, about the debt issue. Um, Kevin McCarthy doesn't know who he's dealing with. Um, I have faith that President Biden will, if he needs to use some emergency measures, he can. I've been seeing uh, stories that uh, there is a provision in the 14th Amendment that gives him the right to circumvent Congress in this situation. And I've got a feeling that he will probably have to resort to that. And because he's not going to let he's not going to let the economy crash. He knows what the potential fallout is and he's not going to let that happen. So I, I've got a feeling that um, that he will resort to whatever measures he needs to. And I and I heard something that he's been consulting with some uh, constitutional lawyers uh, about using that that option because uh, I mean Kevin McCarthy's a clown I mean we just all know he is a pathetic little clown and you know the president has been in DC for 50 years he knows the ins and outs of this stuff so while it's annoying and yes while it's a little bit nerve-wracking because frankly a crash in the economy could just obliterate my industry uh, I could you know easily end up out of a job but um um, I just, I have faith in the president. And, uh, so those, so that's kind of my take on some of the, the hot topics. I'll land my plane there. Thank you so much, Ms. D as, as usual for giving me the opportunity to speak and to hold these spaces. Also real quick, I'll be, um, uh, tomorrow I'm going back to Arizona for work for a few days. I don't know if I'll have a chance to kind of gauge the political feeling on the ground there because I'll be really busy with work. But I'll, I'll try to uh, watch the local news. I'll be in uh, uh, Tucson, which is generally a, a pretty Democratic area uh, anyway. I'll try to gauge what the local sentiment is uh, on the ground there because we've got uh, a Senate race there that we've got to keep an eye on for next year. So. Thank you very much, Ms. D. And with that, I will land my plane. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it. And I do love how you uh, keep holding um, your congresswoman there to account. I did see quite a few posts and things around um, people kind of giving um, what the actual situation would look like if they truly got their way with the <laughs> uh, migrant situation. And um I feel like it's um, one of those um, things kind of like Roe. It's been a great um, issue for them to campaign on. And if when and if they get all the things that they want, the, the harm and damage that will come is untold. And some of that to them on, to themselves, you know, in their own community. Um, so um, thank you so much, Joseph. I appreciate that. I hope you can stick around for a while. we got a few other people. Susan has come up. Um, looking forward to hearing from her. And then um, Carrie. So great, um, great reporting, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> and that's kind of how I look at you guys, you know, just and I love that you said, you know, you're going to this area and we're always looking 
um, you know, or we should be paying attention to what's going on um, in the communities that we live and that we visit, you know, because um, it really, if it's not affecting us directly, it, it is indirectly and eventually maybe directly. So thanks again, Joseph. I really do appreciate your contributions um, to our conversations um, in our community. So thank you so much for being here this morning. And I want to thank all of you who are here joining us. If you're actively listening, thank you for being here. Don't be shy. Come on up and join us in conversation. I understand if you're unable to, um, but please do uh, share, retweet the space so that others know that we're here. If they're able to join, great. And if they're not, at least they'll have it um, to go back and listen to because I think we always have great conversations here. So again, thank you all for being here. And Susan, you're up next. Hi, hello everybody. And you guys, I, you know, some of you know, I've been listening to a lot of MAGA spaces and very much pro-Trump supporter spaces. And then I come in here and the vibe is so different. And this is like, my soul needs this because there is so much hate and bigotry in those other ones. And even though I know that we, our types exist in the world, I go listen there and it actually um, hurts my soul and it brings my emotions down. And, you know, we have to give credit to the people. There are some reporter beats, like, for example, Ben Collins was one of the early ones at NBC News who was assigned to cover the, he kind of called it the dystopian beat, but the extremist beat and that sort of thing. And when your job is to audit this content and these people all the time, you really need some sort of countering emotional balance because it really wears on you um, because it's just can be heartbreaking sometimes to listen, number one, to not only the hate and the bigotry, but for me, as you know, I my angle is I'm always hitting on the press and I'm always talking about accuracy and news literacy and the information crisis that we have in our nation and um, that how just inaccurate these these people's understandings are of things and and then I see the disconnect from what I call the normie traditional newsrooms and the political reporters when they report on MAGA that they still don't get it yet they do not fully understand how extreme the force is of um, the bigotry and the anti-immigrant is the most motivating animating factor. And I'm talking really specifically about the Christian nationalists and the pro-Trump supporters. I'm talking specifically about the Republican voters who believe that Trump is the only suitable candidate. Because I'm talking about the voters who do not like the rhinos, you know, because they're not MAGA enough. These people Um, are like, for example, they're really upset with the woman that Elon Musk has chosen to run Twitter because she has worked for NBC and she has worked for what they consider globalist companies and that sort of thing. So even she doesn't fit their um, uh, worldview. And the grand irony in listening to these spaces is A lot of them are this free speech absolutist type thing. They want to say anything and not have anybody else have the right, you know, to tell them that it's inaccurate or wrong. 
um, whether it's anti-vax stuff. Um, and, and so, but they moderate their spaces heavily. <laughs> so it's such a, you know, they don't see the They can't have anyone breaking through that propaganda bubble now. Right. They watch <laughs> who's listening. If they think that you're not, like, if you don't think the J6ers are, were patriots and doing the right thing, if you're not pro-Trump, if you don't have their worldview, you get kicked out of the space. And I've, um, my, my workaround initially was to listen to the spaces after they were done and play the recordings and take clips that way. Um, but they're even on to me now. And so I'm curious, I want to ask you people who have hosted like D, when can you set the settings on a space recording when it's done to limit who can listen to the recording after it's done? No, but what they can do is like enough of them block you and then you're unable to. So um, I will talk to you because just in case they're listening to our spaces too. I'll tell you how you can do that. Okay. 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 Right. So apparently they're on to me, even though mm -hmm. um, I've been listening to the recordings when they're done because, mm -hmm. um, but then I go and to their accounts and it doesn't look like they've outright blocked me. So maybe they've muted me or done something else so that I can't see those spaces. And like I talked about, I'm going to probably maybe create an alt account at some point. I just haven't taken the time to do that yet. Um, so, um, but I just, I'm so extremely frustrated that the mainstream press doesn't understand the mega voter yet. Or if they do, they're not being honest about it on air and in their reporting. They're not saying I, that they I, understand. I think that, that the understanding that they do have, they really don't care because, you know, that's not their their main concern. It's like their focus is still about, you know, their ratings and their numbers so you know they they pacify um this um cult you know i think um, you're right i think they understand how much the bigotry and the anti-immigrant the uh anti-woke the anti-lgbtq all of those sentiments are their driving forces but the mainstream newsrooms don't um are too skittish and chicken shit i was gonna say they they have no spine to say it honestly and it's just kind of frustrating right now like the new york times posted president biden speech commencement speech where he talked about white supremacy being a threat and while the new york times didn't like specifically say this was bad for him to say it but you just know they also did not post it in a way that they were supportive of what the president said in any way shape or form either and at the same time, you've got the RNC research Twitter account posting it. And the take right wing from right wing rhetoric right now is that the people who talk about racism existing is causing the racism. So their new angle now is if you talk about racism existing and the damage that it does, or you talk about white supremacy being a thing, they call you the racist just because you're trying to call it out. Right. And I noticed that's been a strategy of theirs for a long time. Like um, I noticed that back maybe 18 months or so ago when we started talking about fascism and calling them fascists and Nazis, then they started, you know, like flipping that, you know, or trying to flip it on us. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. 
um, that's what they're doing. And we just, when they change tactics, so, you know, we have to be aware of it and change ours too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm almost done here. I'll just wrap up with a couple of things. So the one thing I did put up in the nest um, is I'm trying to use, there was a YouGov America poll recently that I think is one of the more relevant ones because it actually tried to audit the newsrooms, outlets that Republicans and Democrats use and trust. And um, because that is the core thing, it, um, we can, um, I'm, you know, I'm feeling extra frustrated today with the press, but we can try to get our normie press to do better. But when I listen to the MAGA spaces, I, you know, it really hits home that it really doesn't even matter because even if they perform better, and they stop with the false equivalencies, and they stop with the both sidesism. MAGA doesn't give one wit; they don't care one iota what because they don't listen to them. They have just create. We have Planet A and we have Planet B, and Planet B is you make it into whatever you want. And so their sources are Gateway Pundit and Epic Times and all this these really crap things. They're even turning a lot of them are turning on Fox News, so. I, I, yeah, I, as soon as you don't toe the line anymore, they will throw you under the bus. Right. They so their sources <laughs> are, you know, Steve Bannon's war room and stuff you find on YouTube. And so our information and news crisis is really, really um, a long term critical thing because the better reporting, not perfect, but the better, more accurate reporting is typically behind paywalls. Crap content is always free. And with while this do-it-yourself broadcasting era where we all, it, it helps, um, it can democratize because it allows people like us to self-organize more, but then they're doing the same. And I would say that some of Twitter, some of the MAGAverse has kind of more, a little bit newer to spaces. They keep talking about, oh, this is so great, you know, and they talk about learning how to use them. They are organizing in a very serious way because in their spaces, they're talking about Make sure you get sign up to be your local election poll worker. And so they're not just ranting in there. They're organizing also. They're strategizing Exactly. Also. And that is why we have to keep being here doing what we do uh, as frequently as we do it. Like uh, Gwen and I do it on Mondays. Sometimes I do it other days of the week. But I know that there are other people like Shantae and uh, Tiff. I have her up here. I'm going to get to her next because I know she has kind of a busy work schedule. But, you know, she's having um, lives with other people. So you're right, Susan. And I thank you for, you know, you know, <laughs> listening and uh, allowing your spirit to be darkened and dampened by it, but, you know, informing us uh, because we absolutely do need to know what they're doing, how they're doing it, and know that um, as crazy as they sound or whatever, they have a lot of backing, a lot of money uh, behind them, you know, for people who are not crazy. I mean, they're crazy like foxes. They know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Um, my last, I want to hear Tiff so much. So I'll, my last two quick t tips. Um, my weekly daily reminder, go look for posts you like from the political desks at all the major outlets. Go look for them and amplify them. I know that we like to call out the crap stuff and that works too, but actually 
you know, just we just got to got to do that. And the other thing is Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is on the dark money thing. He's worked on that for a long time and he's also on the Supreme Court crap. So please do everything you can to daily check what he's posting and amplify Senator Sheldon Whitehouse for that. And I, I I'm done for today and I want to hear from Tiff. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I appreciate you giving a shout out to one of my favorite senators. Um, Yes, he certainly is on it. And I follow him and the work that he's doing. So thank you so much, Susan. And so glad that you were uh, able to come in and share with us today. And with that, I am going to go to um, Tip and then Carrie, I'll come back to you. Okay. And uh, trans. So, so glad you guys are here today. And Tip, thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy work schedule to come in. I'm looking forward to you sharing uh, quite a few things with us. And I know you've been following the border story and kind of reporting uh, and giving us the facts. Um, So I'm looking forward to hearing from you today. How are you? Thank you. No, I'm good. It's Monday. So just trying to actually don't have meetings today, which is like, except until three o'clock, which is a miracle. So figured I would come in and talk through all of the craziness that has been happening over the weekend and last week. So if you want to start with the border, we can start with that because there was so much drama last week, you know, with people anticipating and, you know, I, I did a video on this basically saying, you know, that it was, everyone's so stressed about this. It was going to be a crisis. It was going to be chaos. It was going to be a whole meltdown at the border. And then what happens? Mm, it's calm. So it's, it goes to show how sensationalist and Susan was talking about how sensationalist the news media can be when they are trying to push a narrative. Mayorkas was at the was at the White House on I think it was Thursday. He was telling people what was going to you know what 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 they have done, like what they have um you know prepared for. We have senators saying, "Oh my God, it's we don't think the we don't think that the Biden administration prepared enough." And listen, you you can have all the preparation in the world and things can go bad, but typically when you prepare for something it actually goes better than you expected right so i don't i don't really know what the biden biden harris administration thought was going to happen at the border i think they prepared for the worst case scenario which would be a ton of people showing up but they had already put in put in the the protocols in place prior and had warned people, you know, if you come to the border, you're going to likely be turned away. So there was a lot of noise on the ground in Mexico with people coming, you know, foreseeably coming towards the border that if they were, if they didn't do the preparation work to get asylum, they likely would be turned away. So there, there was a lot of work that went into it. So let me just tell you what and I have put this in the thread that I wrote on on Saturday on, on some of the prep work that needs to be done. That was a great thread, Thank Tiff. You. And if you could, could you put that you up in find the... It. Uh, I don't know where it is, but I have to, if someone wants to look for it, um, you can just look look up um, chaos or something. I don't know. There's a word in there that you could probably find. Okay, I'll see Yeah, look up Title, yeah, look I up can... title 42 um, with my at okay. and you should be able to find it. Um, so okay. there were requirements that need to be done prior to obviously the lifting of title 42 and now have come into effect. Right. So a couple of those things that people are talking about is title eight is now back in, in effect. It was never gone, but it basically, you know, obviously title 42 kind of took precedent and basically 
Title VIII, you know, there's a lot of rules involved in that that some people don't really like, right? I mean, if you come here and you get caught multiple, you can't, you're getting caught multiple times, you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to pay a penalty. You're going to have to pay a penalty and you can be barred for five years. So it desensitizes people from crossing the border illegally because they don't want to get caught and have to be sent back to their country and barred for five years if they want to seek asylum again. There's also now the CBP One phone app, which basically you have to, you use that app to make an appointment um, so that you can come to the border and you can have an appointment already. So it's not clogging up the system where you are just coming to the border and there's a long line and you're just standing there waiting to see if you, you have an actual appointment and that, and they expanded that. So instead of having 800, there's about a thousand appointments per day and appointments can be made 20, um, 23 hours a day. So it shuts down for one hour during the day. Um, they also toughen as asylum rules. So you, you should, you should apply at your, you know, at, apply in your country. Um, and then if you can't get, if you can't get it, if you were rejected, then you can make an appointment through the CBP one app. Um, there are exceptions. So unaccompanied children, people in Im imminent danger, and then Obviously, there's rule, you know, there's there's specific rules around trafficking victims, right? So there are people that are being trafficked. We all know that through the smugglers and the coyotes. Um, also, if you if you're from Haiti, Venezuela, Nicaragua, or Cuba, they there is now a program where if you have a, a U.S. sponsor, then they will likely allow you to come in. Up to is up to thirty thousand of people from those countries per month are allowed to come. Um, to the United States if they have a sponsor and they will be qualified to get work in the country for two years. So there is a lot of programs that were put in place. Not everybody agrees with the programs. People, you know, some people think that the rules are a little bit too stringent or believe that, you know, you should be able to show up to the border and receive asylum no matter what. I don't believe in open, well, I don't believe we have open borders and I don't believe in open borders, but I don't like the narrative that is being pushed by a lot of people, um, especially Republicans, saying that we have an open border and anyone can get through. The numbers don't lie. So over the weekend, obviously this started on Friday with the removal of Title 42, according to CBP and Mayorkas. Um, that number has dropped of people presenting themselves from earlier last week by 50%. So instead of 11,000 people showing up, now 6,300 people have shown up. So there is, there is a lot of work that needs to be done. And I posted a video of the VP today. And as she said, she's correct. That work needs to be done by Congress. Congress is the, the people who can change the immigration actual laws, make it easier. In some cases, they want to make it harder um, with Kevin McCarthy's annoying bill that, he, that they passed last week. So there is a lot of work to do. But the narrative of chaos and, and crisis, when you start using words like that, you better be accurate. And these folks were so wrong. They had no idea what they were talking about. They assumed that everything was going to be bad and they underestimate Biden as usual, which is frustrating, but also it allows me to create a narrative of my own to say y'all are dumb. And so that's what I've been doing for the last four days. And I was enjoying actually being able to say to them, you're wrong because you've created, you created a crisis 
and your crisis never amounted to anything. Now, does it mean that there's not going to be a crisis in the future? I don't know. I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict that. But I knew that what they were saying was absolutely going to be false. And, and I was going to make sure that I proved that over the weekend and continue to prove that because you had at, on, on Friday, CNN had live reporters at the border. MSNBC had live reporters by Friday night. CNN basically on their website said, we are no longer reporting on this live. Yeah, because you had nothing to report. You you assumed that there was going to be these this catastrophic. Situation. Yeah, because they they based their, uh, you know, being there on the GOP exactly. narrative, Ted and it Cruz just didn't in, happen. Ted Cruz was in Brownsville screaming at reporters, saying how bad it was going to be, and then oh, can we stop right there, Ted, please, oh I, and talk about Ted because uh, that was glorious. The reporter that called yeah. him out. Uh, when he was doing that, he basically said, so Ted, what have you been doing? What have you done? And Ted went off, called, said it was a ridiculous <laughs> question. And I, I'm like, see, they cannot stand it when you actually call them on their mess. But I just wanted to stop. No, I just love that. And they, they don't like to be challenged, right? They hate to be challenged. Republicans hate to be challenged. But facts matter, right? And people need to understand that you can't just say, you know, these people, these these migrants, these immigrants, or as they would say, quote unquote, illegals are coming to, to America and you are just being so divisive about it, being xenophobic. And it's even worse because Ted Cruz is Latino. It's even it makes it even 10 times worse how disgusting and nasty his mouth is. And the way he talks about immigrants as if he is as if his own father was not an immigrant. And it's it's insane to me. So I, I, I reject all of that. Listen, we have we are a country of laws. We have to follow the laws and the rules to get into this country. And I'm I'm OK with that. I do. I agree with everything. I people were talking about, you know, Title 42. Listen, it, it obviously it came into effect under it was already in, in place. Trump and his his annoying um, people on his team who are very racist, very xenophobic, you know, used it as a way to be able to stop immigration from coming, you know, called the stay in Mexico policy, blah, 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 blah. And we know why we know it was, you know, it was it was masked by using COVID. And I understood, obviously, we you don't we don't want detention centers to be filled with you know a bunch of people that have COVID, oh. okay, fine. But we knew that wasn't really the reasoning behind why they were doing it. It was all masked with that. The Biden administration obviously came in and they had to figure out what to do. So you know they were fight. It was being fought in court, and then finally you know it was decided. Obviously, with the public health emergency is ended, we're going to end this. We're going to end this now. It was the right time to do it, and so now we will oh. see what comes of it. But I'm I'm okay with it now, and and I don't understand some of these senators wanting to continue to. If the public health emergency is over, and we we are essentially saying that COVID is no longer we're no longer in a pandemic, and this is where we are, then you can't continue that at the border because then guess what? You look really xenophobic in doing that because you're only doing it to prevent immigrants from coming into this country and so it had to be ended that's it so anyone that's trying to push for it to be extended looks silly 
And I don't understand why Sherrod Brown or Cinema or um, Tester or any of these other people, I get it, you're in a red state, purple state, whatever, but it, it's not a good look to say that when the public health, you, we, have, we are basically stopping every other COVID policy, but not stopping this one because, because it impacts the border and Republicans are going to scream their heads off and lie and say that, you know, that, that immigrants are bad and they're coming to steal your taxes and all kinds of crazy foolishness. Like we, we, politically, you got to think smarter than that because Ohio has a good portion of Hispanic and Latino voters. You don't want to piss them off, Sherrod Brown. You really don't want to go there. And cinema, we already know, Latinos already don't like her in Arizona. So whatever she's doing is just what she's doing. But you have to think smarter. And I just think from a political perspective, it was probably better just not to say anything. But, you know, people get scared of the border. They get scared of the narrative that the Republicans are creating. And I find it to be bullshit. Stand up for what's right. And exactly. Lean. It, we need to learn to start to lean into um, these things that they try to make crises exactly. that really and are not. Trust, and trust and trust the Biden administration. That that's the part that pisses me off more than anything. I think is that you didn't even trust your own president and the work that Mayorkas was doing at the border. You're basically saying that he's not doing a good job. How, as a Democrat, does that make any sense for you to, maybe I could see if it went bad and you said, you know what, I, I think we need to go back or something to that effect. But you didn't even allow the administration to even go a day with this policy before you criticize them. I find that to be absolute bullshit. I don't agree yeah. with that. You need, we either are going to stand together as, well, Chris, Cinema's not a Democrat, but we're either going to stand together as Democrats and trust what the Biden administration is doing, or we're going to fall apart. We cannot, we are, we, the GOP is always, for the most part, they're always, they're always sticking to their narrative, right? Their narrative, mm -hmm. they're going to, they're going to. And they're counting on, uh, I think that some of those Democrats do. I get where you are coming from, Tip. I think they do it because they know how the media works. Exactly. So they're the not counting the on. Exactly. They know the media is going to report it, the, the, the GOP narrative. So they're trying to save their asses by falling in line with that narrative instead of taking the work, doing the work and calling out their BS. Yeah, you know, you know what? You could have went to the border yourself and shown that things were not were going better than expected. But you chose to sit there and listen to the words that the GOP was spitting in your ear, the narrative that the, that the, that the media who feeds off the GOP was trying to convey to the American public. And instead, instead of standing on your own two feet and being like, you know, let's see what's going to happen. I trust, Bi I trust the Biden administration. This whole distancing thing from the Biden administration, it doesn't make sense to me. We Democrats are going to vote for you. It's not going to be Republicans. Republicans are never going to vote for, for Sherrod Brown. The people that are supposedly in the middle might, um, but Republicans that are true Republicans are not going to be like, oh, yeah, today I'm going to vote for Sherrod Brown because he said Title 42 should be extended. Like, that's not going to happen. What world are we yeah, in? Yeah, they, they keep chasing these uh, crazy suburban undecided or whatever voters that you're not the media getting those people you're not gonna you're not gonna convince those people that the biden the, that biden is good or that you're a good democrat 
because Stop. really and truly, that. they're not undecided. They just don't like their Republican choices, but they are absolutely Republicans. And their agenda is that of the Republican agenda. And they're just trying to find the right mouse to, you know, doggy to, to pin it on. They don't care. Yeah, they're, they're doing the same thing with VP. I mean, oh. come on, let's be serious. They're doing the same thing with VP. They keep they keep throwing it out there. It's like a, it's like a dog and a bone. They like keep throwing it, throwing it, throwing it. Throwing it. The VP is should she be on the ticket? Should she be out there? Do is is um is she good That's for the such campaign? a waste of breath like, and narrative. Like, they keep trying to to try to create this narrative that is that keeps being that keeps being debunked. And every time I look, the VP is not here to convince you Republicans that she is the greatest VP. She has to convince Democrats that she is the best VP. And I think she's done that. She has. Demo- I don't know Democrats who, except for these fake Democrats that are like, oh, my God, the v- I was speaking to somebody. The chaos agents. Yeah, when I was there. away, we were, I was speaking to someone about, you know, I just happened to, we were playing a game and I mentioned that I had met her. And the person was like, oh, my God, there's a white woman from Connecticut. I mean, sorry, from Pennsylvania. And she was like, and she's she's a lesbian. And she was like, she was like, oh, the VP. Oh, my God. She seems like she's so cool. Like, she seems like somebody that I would want to hang out with. And so I'm that to me, that tells me I don't know. This person is not overly political. We don't know each other. I've never met this woman except for on this trip. And, you know, she was happy to tell me that she came to, she told me that as we were playing this game. And I was like, interesting because people, you, if you, if you listen to the media, no one likes the VP, the V, no one is trying to see VP, but every event that I go to that the VP was at, it was a lot of white people there, especially in Pennsylvania. There was the, the majority of the crowd was, was white women. So stop saying that she has there's distinct voters that she is going to appeal to. She appeals to black voters. She appeals to Latino voters in many ways because Biden is terrible at talking about um, immigration. I'm sorry. He's horrible at it. So I would always want her to be the one talking about she has compassion. She has understanding. And I need her to be the one talking about it. Not him. She also appeals. Obviously, she's she's half. um, She's Indian. She's half Indian. So she appeals to the AAPI voters. She appeals to women talking about abortion rights. She appeals to LGBTQ because of her work that she has done. There are people that she's appealing to. Does she appeal to everyone? Absolutely not. No one's going to appeal to anyone. People still mad at Biden for shit that happened, I don't know, what, 30 years ago? I mean, these people are ridiculous. I don't care what happened 10 years ago. I care about what's happening right now. Right. I didn't like Biden in the beginning, but I have grown to respect him more so over the last couple of years because I see the work that he's doing. He's, I see he's a statesman, in charge you know, and sometimes he makes decisions. Yeah, and, I, and I respect that. that. You're not going to. Yeah, agree I respect with. it. I've seen him. I've seen him in a crowd full of, of and these people are like acting like Biden doesn't talk to us. I saw Biden was. I went to a rally at a HBCU <sighs> for Biden and he the, he had the crowd like riled up like this there this delusional the whole thing is delusional on what the media is trying to portray oh, can, and can, I'm pretty much yeah over can it. we stop there too because you talked about him being at an HBCU uh 
uh, HBCU, uh, CU, and talking about, there was, I saw some tweets about him calling out white supremacy and people trying to pretend that he only did it because he was at an HBCU, which, you know, if you have been paying attention, this man started his campaign because he was so moved um, by the Charlottesville incident. And he talked about the need to um, heal the soul of our nation. So he was always, um, that was always an issue for him. He always recognized that. So for people to pretend that he's, you know, trying to jump on something as a campaign thing is ridiculous. Not only that. His State of the Union, even. His State of the Union. He had a speech last year, like, what was it, September, October, like, right before the election in Philly. It's always a part of his conversation. It's always been there. It's always been there. It hasn't changed. And, yes, there has been, think about it, in the last year, there have been more incidents of white supremacy involving guns, involving violence, involving a lot of things that are happening and the GOP hasn't gotten any better in terms of their culture wars, right? So and think about and think about this. Now they want to talk about his age, but his age informs him, his lived experiences. He sees this. Exactly. Okay? You know, so he sees Yeah, what's I mean happening. we could have a president I mean, we could have a president that doesn't talk about it at all. And then they would complain that he's not talking about white supremacy. Like you can't, how can the man win if you, you want him to talk about it or you don't want him to talk about it? Then some dummy puts on, puts us, put, says that, oh, well, why doesn't he talk about this at white um, commencements? And then uh, I read it and it says literally in there, he's talking about yeah. Buffalo and white supremacy, as you said, the, the start of his campaign. It's like, where are y'all getting y'all information from? You, it's, it's like we, we are living amongst people who are so misinformed and so ignorant to facts that every day I have to spend hours and hours debunking foolishness because people do not know how to read. I mean, that may sound elitist, but it's true. I spend so many, so many times on this app having to show people that they are not reading the information that is presented right in front of their face. That is sad. Yeah, and, and it's lazy and they don't want to. And I, I looked at that, you know, that thread and some of the comments, like some people, they don't want to be informed. They just want to be able to shout their ideology and to have others support it, but they are not open to... Um, to having it changed at all, like no. It's laziness. It's laziness mm-hmm. that's exhausting to a person like me who, like Susan said, I read a ton of articles all day long, the good ones and the bad ones. I always post the ones that I like, or is kind of, even if it doesn't necessarily, yeah, don't the whole narrative. I will at least point out what I find in the article. The political one today, I was not posting that one. That one was pure trash about VP. Um, but there are articles that people are producing. And that's why I say the fourth estate is not dead. We had that conversation on Danny Space. A couple. Uh, there are reporters that are doing good work. We should highlight those people. But the ones that aren't, yeah, they need to get all the smoke. And that's where I'll hey. end. Thanks, Tiff. Thank you so much for coming in and joining and sharing, you know, great information. And I I love your passion and um, 
you guys, if you're not following Tiff, uh, she does great threads um, often uh, on many different topics. And um, occasionally she does host spaces and uh, she is doing some things over on another platform that I think is um, able to get a lot of listeners. And so everywhere we can get that message, um, I uh, definitely want us to support those who are, um, you know, spearheading those uh, messages. And I, I appreciate all the work that you do, Tiff, and, and that you put in. And it can get exhausting. So uh, I just want to say thank you. And I, I don't have to tell you to keep doing it because it is who you are. It's like that is your passion, as is mine, like fighting for democracy and the stupidity. And it does get exhausting, but I do just want to say you know, and uh, when we're doing this to make sure that we um, stop and take the time that we need um, for self-care, because uh, as Susan um, mentioned, listening to those spaces, it um, it is heartbreaking to know that we have so many people who, you know, you didn't really know the cause that they were supporting and the people that they were supporting um, who are that empathetic to traitors, to seditionists, to violent people who are truly actively, at this point, the Republican Party is an anti-democracy party. And anyone who does not see that is blind. So that is, again, why I don't know why anyone is trying to support or even pretend to support any of their narratives. They they've all been busted. You know, the you know, being um, fiscally conservative, they didn't care about the debt when they gave their um, donors and um, corporate friends and themselves big tax breaks. They're not trying to change that. They're not trying to make that retroactive. They don't want to take the budget back to that. And the fact is that is that that drove our deficit up. So, you know, most of the stuff that the Republicans are campaigning for and on is, um, you know, when they're blaming Democrats, it's really it's a lot of projection and confession because they're the ones that are causing the harm. And, you know, like my one of my senators, um, Marsha Blackburn, loves to go down to the border. She has literally said that, you know, we are a border state. I mean, how insane can you get? OK, there are lots. There are several states between us and the border. But that's how desperate she is to make it a campaign issue for herself. Now, you look at her timeline, like you uh, look at all of them kind of pick their um, their issues that they're going to campaign on. And she has definitely chosen the border and she likes to drive that, um, you know, part of the problem, the drug crisis that we have is because of the border and fentanyl being uh, brought across and you know, lo and behold, what was it, maybe a month ago, we saw an article, they arrested someone who, you know, was like an agent, you know, so it's not the immigrants that are bringing this over. And again, how the hypocrisy comes through with them is that she's screaming about all of this, but she actually was 
a co-sponsor to a bill that makes it harder for um, the DEA and uh, the Border uh, Patrol people to um, to prosecute um, and to look for um, wrongdoers, uh, drug trafficking. She passed the bill. I, I right now the the name of the bill escapes me. But she claimed that she didn't know that that's what it was going to do. And then she got caught in a lie because the DEA agent, uh, one of them, um, produced a letter that they sent to her telling her that it was going to make their job more difficult. Again, this is how, you know, um, they play both sides. They scream about a problem and uh, about how they care about it. But when they have an opportunity to do something about it, they don't. And oftentimes they do the exact opposite. So um, anyway, I lost Carrie. She was going to be next. I hope she comes back. But um, I'm going to give trans an opportunity and um, invite anyone else to come up uh, to speak that would like to join us in our conversation and um, lots of great things to talk about. We haven't even touched on Santos. Y'all may have gotten burnt out on him, but that's a good thing. So go ahead, Trans. How are you? Okay. Um, hi. Um, hi, everybody. And um, thank you, Miss um, D, for letting me talk in your space. And um, I'm sorry, but I actually forgot to send you a message yesterday, Miss D, um, to wish you a happy Mother's Day, a happy belated Mother's Day, and um, to any woman in the space, because I know I sent Miss um, Carol and Miss um, Miss um, LMZ a message, but I'm so sorry I forgot about you and Miss Sean and yeah and everybody and yeah. So I just want to say that. Um, Firstly, and um, yeah, I hope you all had a great Mother's Day and um, spent good, a good time with your children or um, your own parents. I don't know, but yeah, just for anybody. And um, yeah, but um, I just also want to say, um, like, because um, I, I actually heard Miss Miss Candice Lee Tiff talking about um, the immigration issue and um, like just um, in America and um, the process and everything. And you know. Like me being an immigrant myself and specifically a trans migrant, um, people are just not aware of what happens with the, with the entire immigration process because I sometimes listen in certain rooms where I see certain threads and um, I see people say stuff like, oh, why don't they just do it the right way, this and this and this and um and yes, but um, people are not often not aware about how complicated and how the, the amount of red tape there is um, in the immigration system. And the last time we, um, as a nation, we saw um, comprehensive immigration reform was um, 1986, and um, and it's just it's just so much. And um, and like for years since I think was it 2013 or something around there, like we've been trying they've been trying to like work with um the republicans the democrats in comprehensive immigration reform but every time something has come up like it seems like republicans just shoot it down uh, or something and um like for example last year there was the farm workers uh, Modern modernization act which passed the house there was the dream and promise act which also passed the house and um also remember that whole um build back better um, thing and it actually had a broader it was actually more broad um, the build back better it had a whole bunch of stuff it wasn't just immigration but it had also 
things such as um child tax credit i remember that and i saw um increasing minimum wage and i also saw um i i saw um with as far as immigration i saw them it had um reform for dreamers um tps holders um essential workers and yeah and i think that's what it was but um republicans along with those two um kristen cinema and um and um what's his name um joe manchin both blocked it so so it's like and, and it's like that's part of the reason when the mess we're in as a nation as a just in general everybody's screwed and um when people say do it the right way do it the right way and everything people don't acknowledge that um the high levels of backlogs they are um like for example um as a GBV survivor, I'm aware of the whole, you know, they have something called the U visa that's just for um, victims of certain crimes, um, violent crimes, especially. Um, so um, the U visa is like um, they have a cap, um, an annual cap of 10 years. I mean, not 10 years of um, 10,000 um, visas available a year. So um, recently, President Biden came up with the whole bona fide determination situation, but um, that still takes about three years right now, and um, due, to, due to the backlog, and um, and um, for the U visa itself, it's fifteen years. So imagine how that's the 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 the, the, the tension it puts a lot of um, immigrants and different um, immigrant families in. It's just like crazy and um yeah i just want to say that and um yeah and i feel like you know it's time for um like just as congress both sides just work together to just pass some kind of comprehensive comprehensive right. immigration reform and um yeah and um hopefully maria salazar she had something called the dignity act um hopefully hopefully she can reintroduce that so yeah, I just want to say that so people need to educate themselves, especially on the plight of trans migrants such as Camila Cordova and um, Roxana Hernandez, who were actually killed. Um, one died in ICE custody. Another one was actually deported during the Trump administration and was killed um, by some cartels in um, in um, her native country. I think it was El Salvador. And um, yeah, people just need to be, have more compassion and educate themselves. And yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Trans. I appreciate you coming in and sharing that. And again, like I said, uh, you pointed out some great examples and Tiff um, obviously was moved to respond to a few of those things because it's just another example of how, again, they want to scream and blame, but they don't want to actually actively work uh, for solutions because um, that's not what their um, party is about. So go ahead, Tiff. No, I just wanted to agree that people don't realize, especially Americans who have never gone through the immigration process, have no idea how much work and how much money it costs to mm -hmm. become a citizen, um, to come to this country. They are they are so ignorant to that to those facts. My mom is an Im immigrant. She came to this country when she was thirteen. She didn't even realize she was she went on a cruise when I was like 20 something. So she had been here like almost um, 30 years at that point. She went on a cruise and when she got to um, the, you know, the line, she gave them her, her green card. And the guy says to her, ma'am, your green card is expired. She didn't even realize that it had expired because she had been here for so many years. This was under George Bush. So this was like 2000 and 
I want to say it was like 2006 or 2007 when she figured this out. And so she, you know, she had to go and get all her papers together. She had to go to um, the Belizean consulate. She had to do a lot of work to finally um, get her paper situated. And then she also had to, in, in the process, she was like, you know what, I'm spending all this money to have to get all this documentation. I might as well become a citizen. So in 2000, you know, she had to take the test. And I mean, she spent, I want to say my mom spent at least like $5,000 to become a citizen. It's a lot of money. It is not a cheap thing to have to go through that entire process. And I think most- And, and some people um, are spending money on uh, crooks. Like there are a lot of uh, predatory- Yeah, because um, people are promising things that mm, are not mm. even happening. Like they mm -hmm. promise, these coyotes are promising these people that they're going to, you know, go to go to the U.S. and have work and all this other stuff, and then they come and they're like, okay, well, what what am I supposed to do now, right? You can't you can't just randomly start working. You need to have the papers to be able to do that. And yeah, so it's um, a complicated thing. But there's a lot of people who are, you know, they 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 like to judge people who are immigrants, and we see all the things that are happening in Florida with, you know, these these you know these farm workers and even construction workers who are you who are not going back to work they fear they're going to be deported that fear is a big deal right i mean these people are laborers and they are hard workers so for people the most of the people if you look go to a job site and look at, and see who is working those jobs it is people who are mostly immigrants who are doing that work go to a farm and see who is who is who is the one who is doing all that work it is most of the construction sites who, yeah they, here and in nashville it's growing there's construction sites everywhere and as you said the majority of those workers are hispanic yeah and go to go to your restaurant and see who's cooking the food go to go these people are doing jobs that a lot of people who are Americans do not want to do, who's cleaning the bathrooms, who's, you know, who there's, there is a lot of things that people take it for granted, which is why I think it's kind of, it's not funny, but it also is going, people in Florida are really going to start to see how much work immigrants actually do in certain industries. DeSantis wants to run them out of Florida, but guess what? They're going to, people are going to suffer. They're not going to get their roofs done. They're definitely not going to get their air conditioning fixed. They're not going to get a lot of stuff done. And I'm just gonna sit. I'm just gonna sit back and be like, you see, this is what we tried to tell you. And let's be clear. And I wrote about this on Friday. There is a worker shortage. We have there is a two to one ratio for jobs to employ em, employees. We do people are there is a need for for workers to be in certain industries, hospitality, construction. We can afford to have immigrants come to this country. People saying that is anyone saying that is a damn lie. Okay. There's a bullshit ass lie that needs to be stopped. People can we we need more workers in this country. Not well, less. Uh, yeah, and and not even just in some of those jobs, but because of the craziness inflicted on our country and certain professions during the former guy's reign, like teachers and medical uh, you know, pr people in the medical professions, and some of what they're still doing now, like Roe, uh, here in my state. People who practice, um, you know, uh, obst uh, you know, obstetricians uh, and um, maternity health, they're not trying to come here. Um, and a lot of teachers have left the profession. So, yeah, and, you know, 
you just can't afford to be um, creating laws and situations that, um, you know, make people feel unsafe and um, they're not going to come out to work. And like you said, he's cutting off his nose to spite his face. <laughs> So, so, sister, um, I know that we had talked about a story um, earlier about um, the education system and um, what they were doing in Georgia and and a conversation that you had with um, some friends. Do you want to share? <laughs> Sorry, D, I was pressing the wrong thing. I almost... <laughs> I almost disconnected myself there so i'm sorry about that yeah um so just doing a basic search on education this morning you know i'm like uh i want i just want to see what what other stories we can find there's always something about education and i run across um commentary about and i've i posted this up in the nest um in regards to ohio and um, North Carolina, where they're uh, introducing legislation, uh, you know, talking about free speech, but it's not democratic free, free speech. It's, it's it's the exact opposite. It's uh, it, it's basically um, they want a legislation. They want to implement legislation that has already been um, put in place in, in Texas and Florida. Um, and I, it's on the books. So, um, you know, it's actively being pursued in order to stop free speech versus, you know, encourage actual free speech. What they want is to, you know, it's just like Susan has said earlier, it's Tiff has said this as well. We always talk about it in this space. They they want to be able to say whatever they want to say, demonizing and othering, um, it, you know, marginalized individuals and communities and um, underrepresented um, minorities in this country without any reproof, without any, um, any uh, condemnation at all. And they don't want anyone else or the opposite side, the good side, the correct side to um, to confront them in any type of way. So this is what they're they're pursuing. And then almost immediately after that article was another article in regards to Georgia, where um, I forget his name was Mike. Uh, I I will put that up there as well. Um, he's from the. Heritage Foundation, and he also was writing uh, a lot, basically using the same language, um, using the same rhetoric. Uh, this is the time to do it now. Georgia is prime, you know, real estate for this action to take place. So, I, it was it was kind of crazy because I saw it in real time. Uh, the articles had talked about how it had been successful in Texas and Florida. It's on the books in Ohio and North Carolina. And then here's this commentary. It's like, this is where it starts. And, uh, you know, we think we had this conversation that, uh, you know, it is, it's happening currently in Tennessee. And I'm sure there's, a, uh, you know, many other states that are also um, 
under direct attack by these same type of tactics. And if you're not looking, you're not piecing together that puzzle. You're not putting all of those things together and you're not noticing how quickly and actively and aggressively that they are pursuing uh, the disenfranchisement of, of, of our, our voices and our rights, you know? So um, it, I just found it, I found it interesting. And, and then we, like I said, we got to talking about, you know, my experience over the weekend where, you know, I'm thinking I'm just going to have a nice Sunday where I'm visiting my nephew's church and, you know, being with my sister. And, um, you know, I encouraged my son to, to spend time with his grandmother because he doesn't see her as often as he should with his schedule and everything. So, you know, hey, I'm going to I'm going to still be with family and I'm going to celebrate this day. And I'm sitting there and the topic came to, you know, politics and it was like so let's keep in mind I'm sitting at a table with the pastor and his wife and the pastor's brother and et cetera, et cetera, people from church and and they're like, yeah, Biden's got a problem. He's going to have a really tough time in 2024. And I was shocked. I was sitting there shocked. Like, are you are you being serious? Are you saying, like, you have a problem? Well, you know, he's got a tough road. Okay, we understand that. But it was the illusion that if, if they don't come up with something better, then I don't know if he's going to be able to make it. And I'm in shock because I'm, who are you going to vote for? And so we, I pushed back and, and I told D, I said, I don't know that I'll be invited back again, you know, um, because I, I, although I was polite and I was, um, you know, I didn't swear, I didn't get all, you know, uh, outrageous with them. It was still that I pushed back. I, I, I stood my ground on it and I, and I basically um, challenged them. And it, it, there is a... There is a, a real issue when we're dealing with um, in the black community when we're dealing with um, Christians who have basically started repeating or falling for the GOP Christian rhetoric. It's a it's it, and it's something we have to counter and we have to counter it each time. And you know what? If I don't get invited back, I don't care because I think that um, I did plant some seeds and I did make some good points and uh, I did end some uh, criticism. I did I did shut them down, but I did it in a kind way. And I think we can all do that. I think we all have to do that because this is how easily it starts you know, maybe they read a commentary in their local newspaper and it mentioned something about, you know, uh, the issue with Biden and why it's a problem. Uh, it, this is how we end up in, with places that have legislation like Texas, like Florida, like what's coming to North Carolina and Ohio and then also, you know, Tennessee and um, uh Georgia soon to be named, you know, uh, and, and any others. It's, it's it's something that we can't um, ignore. And when the opportunity presents itself, I think that we have to um, have those discussions because the other side is not waiting until next year to ramp up their their 
their conversation on um, who's the best candidate and what's the best direction for this country and what's best for our families and education and our children. And those are the words that they're going to use. We have to be able to counter those same conversations with our own points. And we have to start doing it now whenever the opportunity presents itself. So I, I, you know, it's, it's, yes. Should we be at our, um, our city council meetings? Absolutely. Should we be at the PTA meetings? Yes. Should we be visiting libraries? Should we be calling our congressmen? Should we be at our uh, Democratic caucus meetings? Absolutely. But when the opportunity also presents itself, that you can have a conversation with somebody who um, you know has the same general beliefs as you, but might be getting the the right Um, mm, by a lot, right. <laughs> yeah. you know, you have to, you have to yeah, take oh, that, okay. that, those moments. So, right. yeah, right. I'm sorry to go on and to feel like I'm preaching okay. to no, this community but I wanted... because it's not, you know, I know this community and I love this community because we are active and because, and I feel like, uh, you know, maybe I'm being, um, maybe I'm, I'm just feeling too, uh, too much for us but I you're thinking highly of us in in such a way but I really feel like they have been watching spaces like this and um they are now mimicking it because they see it as a tool to not just get on here and gripe but they're all you know to to get on here and strategize because they saw what we were able to do so while they are following our lead we have to absolutely end up working two or three times as hard because um they cannot win it's just sickening all right I'm yeah, it's not even a question. <laughs> no, but I wanted you to be able to share that story. And I knew we were coming up to a time where you might have to duck out, you know, uh, for a short period. Yeah. And I also uh, wanted to, uh, on what uh, Tiff and Trance were saying, I think it was CBS Sunday morning. They had a story about um, a couple of immigrants who had come here, gotten um in the system and had an attorney and had waited like six years only to uh, wait at six years and get um, denied. Now they are basically repealing and are going to have to go through that process again, basically maybe another six years. So um, it is important to understand that it is a very difficult um process. It's not easy. It's expensive. And can you imagine just trying to live your life and go about, um, you know, working and doing the things that you need to do to live every day and really not knowing um, your status in, in the country that you're doing that in? So. Oh, absolutely. I have a neighbor across the street. Um, they're from Romania. Um, she's got four girls and her she her and her husband started it at the same time but um they had different lawyers she is now an american citizen um so his lawyer decided well you know what maybe we should change tactics now because she's an american citizen so maybe you can you know do your immigration status differently to her through her because she you know you're married to her whatever and it didn't work out. And what happened is that last sweep that was done before uh, the former guy left office, he was caught up in it. And now he's over in Romania. And they've been fighting this since then. 
and they had been fighting it for years. And at the last count, when I asked her how much had they spent on lawyers, oh, and by the way, that lawyer then ended up retiring, so now they had to get a new lawyer. They've they've spent well over ten thousand dollars. This is this. I mean, he's a painter. That's what he did. He was a painter. Now, yeah, his company was is is pretty well known in this community and takes very big jobs. It's not just painting and. Um, interiors and exteriors of houses. It's also doing corporate, but it, you know, and he makes good money, makes good enough that you know she was able to stay home and raise her children. But now they're in a situation where they have no income because he is in a totally different country, <laughs> and they're relying on you know her getting these short-term jobs and her kids who um, are in, two of the girls are in college who are you know offsetting some of their studies and working outside of the home, obviously, um, in the service industry uh, to help support the family, as well as obviously some government assistance. It's just, it's really, it's sad. It's very, very sad. He, one of his daughters is, uh, I think she might be six. She, she might've just turned six this last birthday. He's missing that. And he's missed, you know, many of her, her formative years and who knows how many more she will miss or he will miss and uh, she doesn't know him as the other girls know him and it's just it's just it is a heartbreaking thing so as you know these things are happening right here in our own communities and you know people you you just you, I, I hate how how people think that it's it's a very uh seamless or or easy thing that 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 happens and oh no biggie these Many people that are coming here really don't have uh, any money. They are starting over and they did come here to start over to uh, feel a better life for their, themselves and their families. And it's 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 heartbreaking. So I hear you. I don't even have to look at the news. I can look right across the street and see what's happening in regards to immigration policies uh, for my neighbor. Well, thank you. I remember you sharing that with me once before, and I'm, I'm glad you shared it with everyone here. So, Jima Riri has come up. I'm so glad to have you join us today. Uh, you have the floor. Good afternoon, uh, Dee. Thank you for the space and Soul Sister. Um, I've had a rough past week. I haven't been in spaces for a bit, but I'm better now, so it's okay. Um I got to do an event with Moms Demand Action on Saturday, so that was really uh, fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, we met at a library by the park, and we did um, postcards. So I am finding things that I can do to help, so that really made me feel good that, um, you know, I can't knock on doors. I can't do a lot of marching, um, but there are things that I can do, and I'm so glad uh, that I went ahead and joined um, to find those things that I can do to try to help. Um, <clears throat> Tiff, you are a queen. You have been so good at just blasting the truth um, about the whole border crisis that isn't. The whole Diane Feinstein that wasn't an issue. Uh, you have a great talent at this. I couldn't even put into words the way you do this. And I just really got to give you flowers because it really does make a difference when you're putting the correct information out there. And then I can share it with other people. It's so important. Um, our school board here in Lyons Township, the one that Nick Fuentes came from, you all, um, he went to Lyons Township High School. We had... 
uh, Republicans trying to take over the school board at our high school. They did not succeed. Um, we actually got three progressive Democrats who were elected onto our school board. So we have mainly a Democratic school board now. And I can't thank the people enough in this town for um, doing that because I was worried. I, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. This is a mostly white town that I live in here. And I didn't know if people were going to do the right thing. So it was really nice to see that they did the right thing. Um, on the other end, the Republicans who lost are now in the local papers um, crying and complaining. And they can keep crying. I don't even have a tissue to give them. Um, their whole agenda was the Trump first agenda. And it was to get onto the board to start banning and uh, taking things away. We had an incident at the high school last week. It was after school, by the way. There was an adult involved in this incident where a student got hurt very badly. Well, now we have all these uh, racists in my town. And then we have people that aren't even in this town chiming in about this. Um, oh, you guys are too woke at LT, blah, blah, blah. No, this was an adult that did a bad thing. This had nothing to do with the teachers, the education, um, the students. And, you know, I have to constantly tell people that, what the truth is. Um, and also with the uh, migrant workers in Florida, I really was shocked seeing those videos that, I mean, what is uh, just a dumbass move to do. Um, the jobs that none of us Americans will do have been done for many years now by migrants. We have people that come across the border to do work here and go back, just like we have people and in that's how That's how we began our um, Hispanic population here, is they were um, pumping them in to uh, help with tobacco and things, you know, here. <laughs> so, and yeah. Do you recall, I, I and correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought maybe quite a few years ago, Alabama, didn't they try to get rid of migrant workers and it backfired on them um, with the farmers in Alabama? And I think they ended up changing the law so that they could come back. I want to say maybe like 2007 or 8 that happened back then, but I do remember that happening and you would think that we would um, have learned our lesson. And then to top that off, you have the former guy who literally brings in migrant workers to work at his hotel, but nobody ever talks about that from the Republican side. Nobody ever mentions that. Um, That's what I'm saying. The hypocrisy is so yeah. baked in with them. It's like everyone keeps giving them a pass for it. Yeah. Like, like we all know it. I mean, yes, we do, but please, we need to keep saying it. It's crazy yep. it's crazy absolutely we have to keep correcting it and um the last thing my friend had came back from florida she's my best friend and i love her um but she literally came back and she made a comment to me about well, i'm not sure about uh, uh kamala harris uh, they say she's not doing anything i sat her ass down and we went over i showed her my twitter to show her everything that Kamala Harris is doing. And I said, dear sweet Patricia, I love you, but your brain has been in Florida for a little too long and you're not <clears throat> listening. You're not reading. 
you're not paying attention. And so I caught her up and I corrected her. And see, even with somebody like that, that I love, that says she's a Democrat, she started to flop. So it really is important to keep informing people with the truth and the facts. Um, thank you for letting me speak today. I'm glad I can be back. Um, I love you all. You are phenomenal people who have really made a difference in my life. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for coming and joining us today. And we always love to hear from you. And I'm sorry, you know, whatever it was that, you know, you were going through. I'm glad things are are better now. I hope they continue to um, improve for you. And um, again, just another message to us all that, you know, we all have in real life stuff that's going on and to take the time to, you know, for self-care, do the things that you need to do. And you also had another great example of um, like, we're in here, we have these conversations, but um, we also, many of us know that we don't make uh, noise just on Twitter. Uh, We do have, um, you know, a lot of us who are out there in the community doing things. So I love your postcard story and, um, you know, we have uh, people uh, like Tiff and, and others who um, are working uh, whenever needed on creating uh, ads for uh, fundraising for good candidates. And this is like a great time for us uh, to continue to search out and find good candidates. So I've had a few people who have, you know, DM'd me about some candidates and I am going to start, um, you know, encouraging them and welcoming them into our spaces so that we can Uh, get to know them and to vet them because it's important that um, we um, really, really um, have someone running in all of the races everywhere and that those are uh, really good candidates. And also um, work on some oppo research because we had people like Santos who you know, never should have won, never should have won. And, you know, like these things that, you know, finally got picked up by some mainstream media, they they were reported there locally by people and people like him, because I have one here, um, Ogles, um, you know, even if a Republican wins, it should not be um, just a straight up chaos grifter. You know, like, I mean, at this point, I guess maybe uh, they're all becoming pretty much like their leader and that's what they're doing. So I don't know if we can find one, but they should not be, um, you know, the ones even in gerrymandered uh, areas. Um, We should at least make them put forth someone who is um, halfway um, viable. So with that... I am going to um, give the floor to anyone here who is up an opportunity if you'd like to add something else. If not, my throat, my allergies, unfortunately, it's that time of the season, are kicking up. And um, I will start to wrap us up. So if there's anyone else who is listening, if you have anything that you'd like to chime in on, please um, take a moment to uh, join us, uh, request the mic, and Joseph has done so. So I'm going to give him an opportunity, and Susan is coming back up. So um, 
happy to um, hear from you again, Joseph, and then Susan. Thank you, Ms. D. Yeah, fortunately, I've been able to kind of uh, listen in on some of the the other speakers, uh, you know, just really about the uh, the immigration things. You know, the Republicans, they want to have it. They want to have it both ways. You know, they, they're so they're so xenophobic. They're spreading their their white supremacy narratives. But yet at the same time, their allies in big business and big agriculture need labor because let's face it um a lot of their constituents aren't going to get out there and do the kind of jobs that immigrants are are doing i mean like here in california we have such a we have a huge agricultural region you know in the central part of of the state and um if these uh if these magas are complaining about oh they're taking our jobs and this and that and the other fine Let's see you go out there and work in the fields of Central California in the middle of summer when it's frequently above 100 degrees. Let's see you go out there and 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 pick, you know, fruits and vegetables under insanely harsh conditions. Um, so, you know, they don't want the immigrants here, but at the same time, they want jobs to get done. I mean, the, just the, the hypocrisy of it all is uh, is just glaring and uh, you know it is you know the immigration you know it is a, a lengthy a lengthy process um of course when my mom when my mom came it was such a long time ago so this process was a little bit sorry joseph that was me my big thumb <laughs> go ahead <laughs> oh that's okay that's okay um you know when uh when my mom, I mean, my mom is really, really young when she came, but her, my aunts and my grandfather basically had to wait in Mexico while my grandma, my grandma came ahead and kind of started the, the process. And then once they got word that everything was okay, you know, that, you know, that basically that they had arranged, uh, you know, the proper documentation in those days then they came, but they had to wait. I mean, it was, a. Uh, I remember my grandma telling me that it was a, a rather lengthy uh, process, even in, even in uh, those days. And then my mom, my mom became a citizen. I think when she was, I think when she was 20, cause her and my, her and my dad had uh, been dating for about a year. Cause one time I saw my mom's naturalization uh, document when she, when she became a citizen. And uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a lengthy process from the time where somebody arrives and the time that, you know, somebody can, you know, full citizenship. And that's the thing, the Republicans, they don't understand what a lengthy process this is and how it can be costly. Now I'm like, you know what Tiff said, I don't believe in open borders. I do believe there should be an orderly, you know, process to that immigration. But at the same time, you know, see we have, you know, seeking asylum is not a crime. You know, I mean, how would, how, you know, if the shoe was on the other foot, what if, you know, things were so bad here that we had to go somewhere somewhere else i mean how would you know how would they you know how would they feel so um i it just i i really gotta push back on that narrative you know and in, in my district where i live uh, it's a ma democratic majority district 
Um, it's a mostly Latino district and the immigration is a, you know, it's probably the top issue in my district because my congressman is, uh, is really pushing for comprehensive, uh, immigration reforms because it is so, it's such an important, uh, topic in our, our, our district. But, you know, this is an age old thing that Republicans have, have tried, but you know what, here in California, they went too far with it back when uh, Pete Wilson was our governor. And as a result, that has been, you know, that's kind of what has turned California into a Democratic majority state is that people got fed up with the Republicans and their uh, their racism. And, uh, you know, it's incumbent on on all of us to push back on on this this uh, this narrative. Um uh, because it, it's it's harmful. It's harmful, and they they are using it as a tool to try and divide all of us that are, uh, you know, that are among marginalized uh, communities. You know, I see it happening. I see it happening all the time. And again, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with the the white uh, adjacency. So. I'll uh, I'll land it at that. I have to uh, I have to jump off because there's some things I have to take care of. Well, with, thank uh, you so with... much for joining us and oh. contributing such great information and insights as always. Uh, so um, thank you for telling, you know, sharing that personal family uh, oh. story. And I think there are so many more of those. You're you're very welcome, Misty. Thank you so much for this wonderful space, and thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share that with you. And uh, have a great rest of your day, everyone. And we'll be talking to you again soon. Bye. All right. So um, up next, we've got um, Susan, and then um, Kevin and LMZ, and we're gonna wrap it up um, there. I think uh, my uh, co-host is out temporarily, but I think she may be able to join us before we close out. But I'm so glad you guys have joined in today, and I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you. I have missed you immensely. So, Susan, you're next. Hi, thanks. I just wanted to add a couple of things that I didn't say very clearly, and Tiff um, helped bring them to mind. I think one of the, all of us in here are uh, aligned in that we're pragmatic, and um, I think uh, there was um, a tweet that LMZ and I um, interacted with earlier today that fits into this is that like there are definitely Christians who are Democrats and their faith practice informs uh, their values and their politics as well, because we want to care for the meek and the, and the mild and all of that. So and, and it has that relates to immigration. We understand that there has to be orderly process. Of course, we don't want just wild open borders, but we also realize that the process is really messed up. And so I think what's really missing out in the narrative is the pragmatic Democratic voice. And that's I get a little bit frustrated with Democratic Party messaging sometimes, because as we all know, the louder extremist attention gamers get all of the attention and that gives um, a lot of uh, easy language that can be weaponized by the right saying, see, they want open borders. And those of us who um, understand the world in a more nuanced, logical, we see the complexities, we see the realities. It seems like I feel like our voice is the one that gets um, drowned out. Um, but I just wanted to point out that I did put in the nest since I spoke last a thread that I created carefully over the weekend because it's from the New York Times 
and a lot of people don't have paid subscriptions. So I used one of my gift links and I made a thread because the reporter did a great job of overview of um, historical congressional efforts in the 21st century, where there were actually sincere efforts that started out in a bipartisan way and had bipartisan support to do immigration reform policy. And um, she explains all of those. And then every single time, the final thing is that House Republicans end up killing it. And so I wanted to put that out there with a gift link. And if you guys could help push that into feeds where there might be people who don't have subscriptions to the New York Times. And I also want the New York Times and that reporter to see that we like that kind of work that um, explains, um, number one, the main point is that Congress has the ultimate responsibility for significant immigration reform legislation. And generally, we see from the Bernie Sanders wing, we see from leftists, and we see from extremists on the other side, too, that there's too much emphasis put on the Oval Office comes with some sort of magic wand to fix everything. And that's just a really, you know, bad uh, narrative that has grown. And I um, give a lot of it, uh, the fault of that, to the Bernie Sanders campaign because um, that's one thing that the Trump campaign and the Sanders campaign shared rhetorically is the I alone can fix it. And it um, when B Bernie Sanders brought in a lot of newly engaged people, that was great. I like to see them interested in civics and interested in government action, but they um, got miseducated with misconceptions about the role of the o Oval Office and what's what power should come from the Oval Office which should be signing legislation into law and that significant legislation needs to come from Congress. And so I'd like everybody just to, in your feeds, whenever you have the opportunity, remind people, well, you know, it's the role of Congress. It's not the role of Biden. And our political press also is terrible at this miseducation. They also help. Um, there's an article just out now by Politico that is talking about, oh, President Biden is getting squeezed on both sides on immigration policy. He's getting hammered from both sides. And instead of um, arguing about whether you're for immigrants coming in or not, or whether you think we should build a wall or not, the pushback I would like on the press is like, hey, you should be telling people that this is Congress's responsibility and help educate people just about general civics and how government should be working. And so um, anyways, I put a, a long thread that has a GIF link because it was a good article that did all of the above. And um, anyways, that's the last thing that I wanted to underscore today. Thanks. Thank you again so much, uh, Susan, for uh, those great uh, points that you've made and for sharing the article. Um, with us and we will definitely help to amplify it. Now, did you put it in the, the nest or in the thread or do we need to find it on your timeline? Um, I put it, it's on my timeline and I retweeted it today and it's also in the nest. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so very much again. I appreciate it. So up next, we've got um, Kevin and then LMC. Hello, D. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Good. I missed <laughs> the crowd for quite some time there. I'm sorry. Uh, but you know, as I do, work comes first, unfortunately. I know. You yeah. got to eat, got to have a roof over your head. I do understand. First things first. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and that's what I was going to ping in about real quickly today is, you know, 
and I'll chime off of what other people said. You know, there's so much importance to the immigrants that come into our country, you know, and it, it's, it's <laughs> a lot of people just think about the crops, you know, and, and granted, yes, that is a primary concern, especially when in the past, <laughs> I, incredibly failing, they have tried to employ Americans to do the job. Americans will not do it. And just like one of the previous speakers said, go find somebody that's going to be out in that field in the temperatures that they have to be out in, and it fails miserably. The, the Americans quit. They are lazy. Uh, they don't want to do that type of work. Uh, they're too, you know, um, used to the, the soft, uh, comfy type of work where you're not, you know, doing manual labor. And we've gotten away from that. I mean, if, you know, we did it for how many years up until we became so industrialized that we needed to have that type of work. And where else are we going to get it from? You know, we, you know, as much as immigration is a problem, and yes, it needs to be fixed, we still need that that source of labor. Um, and, you know, I I know personally, if I would try it, I'd probably fail myself. And I'd, I'm not afraid to admit that. I love working in my garden, and but I don't think I could endure what they do. I mean, just all you have to do is look at the United Food Workers uh, feed on Twitter and see exactly what they endure on a regular basis you know, the type of foods that they're harvesting. And it's just backbreaking, heat backbreaking, the, the type of crops that they have to work around, uh, the temperatures, cold and hot, uh, just incredible. And then, you know, it's the construction too. You know, day laborers are a big piece of, of construction and, and work in the United States. And, you know, you, you do something like they're, they're doing in Florida right now, it's going to, be a drastic hard thing for those people down there when they start seeing construction sites that are non-productive and you start hearing from the farmers more frequently that crops are dying because there's no way to harvest them you know and <laughs> all you gotta do is look at the uh the uh, what do you call it the tourism industry meal prep hotel cleaning it just goes on and on and on. I mean, there's there's very few people in the United States that will even attempt to do that work when it's out there and it's readily available. And, and frankly, some of it pays pretty well, you know, but what are you going to do? I mean, we, we have to make sure that we keep talking about this, impressing our representatives, our senators, the legislators to get comprehensive immigration reform out there um i know you saw it d and you liked it i i posted you know after this whole event with um, mayorkas and uh, the immigration with title 42 pausing and uh people were saying oh it's going to be an influx that we can't handle and where did it go from Ten thousand on friday to 7200 on saturday to less than four thousand on sunday so I mean, if you get the message out there about how you can appropriately request asylum in the United States, 
through your local governments or however it's done. You know, granted, their CBP website stinks, and I feel for those people having to call in numerous times. But when you tell people, look, if you're not filing a legitimate claim for asylum and we catch you and you're going to be sent back to your home country and you're going to have to wait five years, it makes people think because they really do want to come here. And granted, we want to have people come here, but it should be done the right way. It should not just be for the sake of financial uh, income or financial um, betterment. You know, it has to be for a legitimate reason other than that. And, you know, that's where asylum claims come in from these countries like Venezuela and Cuba and, you know, all the other countries out there where these people are fleeing from. And, you know, that that arduous journey and, you know, the, the coyotes that, you know, scam them out of their money and tell them, you know, hey, come here, you can come here and just pay us all this money. You know, that's that's not the way to do it. You know, but it, it's it all comes down to messaging and how you how well those people get out the messaging to those affected groups to let them know the proper way of immigration into the United States. You're absolutely right, and yeah, I was so um, happy to see that article that you um, reposted and. Um, Again, I look uh, to us to continue to do that kind of work. And um, as Susan said, when we find the reporters, the stories that are telling the story in the way that is helpful and truthful, we need to um, amplify them and and share them. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for, I'm glad that uh, you had an opportunity to come in today. And I'm glad um, that you... um, uh, we're moved enough to come and participate in the conversation. So again, thank you so much for being here and sharing. Yeah, you're welcome, dear. Just bringing the goods, you know, as they say, and today I had to school another person with the goods from Florida. You know, he's trying to bash away at how Florida is so good. And exactly. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I laid into him. And I was like, hey, you got to bring the goods, you better bring them, because I don't want to hear something that falls out of a Cracker Jack box. Right. Well, that's mostly what they've got. But unfortunately, the media keeps running to pick up all that stuff they're dropping out. So uh, up next, we've got LMZ. So glad to have you here, my dear. And uh, is that Geechee? I see a new Abby. I think that is uh, Geechee. So um, I am so glad to hear from both of you today. So LMZ, how are you? Hi, Ms. D, and hi, Soul Sister. Good afternoon to both of you lovely ladies and defenders of democracy. Always an honor to share space with both of you. Um, So thank you for letting me have a couple minutes in advocacy arena today. Um, I am preparing for um, what will be another very challenging week here in my state. Um, for those of you that pay attention to um, 
things in the United States of America, then you're aware that North Carolina passed a monster abortion ban the week before last. It's a 46-page abortion ban. Um, it was introduced at 10 o'clock at night to go through committee the next morning at 9 o'clock in the morning. So it gave people 10 hours to try to go through 46 pages of a bill. Um, it did not go through regular channels or committees or through anything that had been standard operating procedure at the North Carolina General Assembly. And it passed um, both branches, um, the North Carolina House and the North Carolina Senate, in less than 48 hours. Uh, the North Carolina House did not allow any public comments. And the North Carolina Senate did allow comment, but they put a restriction on how long senators could give their comments. And my senator, who is the minority leader in the House, uh, very well, um, Democrat State Senator Dan Blue, um, made sure that it was on public record that in his 40 years, yes, he's been in the General Assembly for 40 years, um, in his 40 years, he had never known of any time where the North Carolina Senate had put time restrictions on how long a senator could give comments um, regarding a bill. So that's how much the um, the extremists in the North Carolina General Assembly cared about hearing what anyone had to say, no comments from the public, and then restricted Democratic senators for how long they could even talk. So um, it passed 100% down party lines. And our governor, Roy Cooper, this weekend, um, for the first time ever in his almost eight years of being a governor, um, his he will, you know, there's an uh, election coming up in 2024 for the governor of our state, which is very, very scary because the people that are running for the Republican Party are very dangerous people to take over from Cooper. But Roy Cooper had this Saturday um, downtown at a place called Bicentennial Plaza by the General Assembly. Thousands of people came out for a rally where he publicly vetoed Senate Bill 20. Um, with his desk, with his veto stamp, with his signature. And citizens came from all across the state of North Carolina. They drove in. They had it at 10 o'clock in the morning so that people from as far away as Charlotte and Asheville, people at the coast, could get up on Saturday morning and drive in and be present for that, that moment in history and stand in solidarity for this bill. This bill um, takes away abortion at 12 weeks. It takes away the medical abortion pill at 10 weeks, but it does much more than that. It takes away the funding and the availability for uh, many, many um, healthcare centers across the state. So it is essentially a ban in North Carolina, because even if you are still uh, permitted per this legislation to have an abortion up until 12 weeks, um, so that's last time I did the math, four times three, that's three months in, um, you are uh, probably going to be hard-pressed to find a place, find the availability, 
find the doctors, find what you need to be able to get that medical procedure done. I need everyone to understand that. There is cruelty in this bill. You have to have three different visits before you're even permitted to have the procedure or to get the pill that you need. This does not matter if you've been a victim of rape or of incest. You have to wait 72 hours between these visits. Now, mind you, they passed the entire monster abortion ban bill in less than 48 hours. But they're going to make women in this state wait more than 72 hours to get the health care that they need. So it is very catastrophic. Um, and Governor Cooper vetoed it. But as you all know, there is a supermajority here in my state. And so we are as expecting as early tomorrow morning, I will as early as tomorrow morning, <laughs> um, that the uh, General Assembly is going to override his veto. What has been done in between then is advocates and stakeholders and citizens have been calling Republican senators, um, asking them to do their job, asking them to uphold their promise, especially Representative Trisha Cotham, who you all know I've shared in this space, Miss D and Soul Sister have given me the time to share in the space about her, where she changed her party from being a Democrat to a Republican in March. And so, of course, she campaigned in November to uphold women's reproductive rights. She had gotten awards from Emily's List and from other pro-choice groups for stating publicly and saying, voting publicly that she was going to be a pro-choice uh, representative. And she uh, threw all that way away, burned all that away the week before last when she voted for this harmful bill. So there has been a lot of public pressure on these senators with people calling them, emailing them, pleading with them to please uphold what they ran in their campaigns, especially Trisha Cotham out of Mecklenburg County. Um, but I'll be honest in this space, and I do know that it's recorded. Um, if we only need one vote to go that way and Governor Coper's veto would, would stand, um, I'm not hopeful about that. And I am a person of hope and I'm a person of faith, uh, but I'm very realistic. And um, I've been in this state during this General Assembly session, and I have seen them vote down party lines every single harmful vote that they possibly can from horrible, horrible, hateful, bigoted LGBTQ anti-trans bills that harm young people, that harm individuals from getting their health care and protecting their civil rights to rolling back common sense gun legislation when we know that guns are the number one killers of our children to uh, laws that are going to defund public education more than it is to not having adequate funding for, you know, seniors and 80% of seniors right now cannot even afford to go into a nursing home to thing after thing after thing. I personally, as a citizen of this state, have not witnessed one Republican vote one time with moral conscious objectivity or for what is right for the civil rights, social rights, racial justice rights for any of their constituents. So it's very hard for me to say to you on the eve of these votes 
at the North Carolina General Assembly that I think one Republican would be swayed to do the right thing tomorrow. If they do, that will be a tremendous miracle for the women in the state of North Carolina, because as we've been trying to make this clear, this is beyond, although pro-choice is extremely important and I support um, no restrictions to a woman's right to choose. This is also directly impacting reproductive health. And I don't know what it will take for people to understand that these bans and these laws are going to make women die. Literally. They are going to have health care crises that they will not be able to receive the medical treatment they need. And they will end up dying because they will not have access to the reproductive health that they need. So while I would rejoice if one Republican would do the right thing in my state, I have yet to see one Republican do the right thing in my state. So that is the update here. We also have multiple um, uh, anti-election laws that are still um, up to be passed and we're pretty sure are going to be passed. I'll mention them Ms. D and Soul Sister, and then I'll land my plane just so that people know what is the other things that Republicans are doing while they're doing all of their culture wars and their anti-woke wars. The biggest war is really the attack on our democracy. And I think people need to be aware of that. Um, all the bills that you hear out of Florida that gets all the attention because of DeSantis, like we've said ad nauseum, and I will keep saying it, it's already happened in Tennessee. It's already happened in North Carolina. It's already happened in Missouri. It's already happened. You think of a red state, it's already happened. Okay. So there are anti-democracy bills going on in all of these state legislations, including mine, which include making absentee voting harder by sh shortening the window when the ballots can re-return, um, taking away same-day registration ballots, reducing early voting, um, codifying the law for U.S. citizenship to, to remove um, naturalized voters from um, being on voter rolls. You all already know the North Carolina Supreme Court ruled so that any individual living with a felony has now had their voting rights revoked. So this is what the big issue really is. Am I minimizing what the white supremacists are doing all day, every day in, in general assemblies? Of course not. I'm not minimizing at all. I'm just nuanced, unlike a lot of people at Twitter on Twitter that cannot walk and chew gum at the same time and seem unable to see the bigger picture. They can't seem to see the forest for the trees. I'm in no way minimizing what white supremacists are doing in state houses. But the big issue is that they are coming for our democracy. They are coming for our democracy. And they know that they can't win if all of us vote in the numbers that we should vote in. They know that they cannot win if we come together as a beloved community and vote for Biden-Harris, that they will be outnumbered. And so to try to mitigate that fact, they are already putting things in place to cheat. They are already putting in laws so that they can and disenfranchise votes, steal votes, lessen votes, make voting harder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all of this really is a fight for democracy. 
see. I don't know how many times we have to say it. I understand here in Advocacy Arena, Miss D and Soul Sister every Monday do all that they couldn't do to make sure people understand that. But I continue to see a lot of opinions on this bird app and opinions are not going to save democracy. Actions are going to save democracy. And the number one action that's going to save democracy is your vote. So people tweeting constantly about why they don't like Biden-Harris or one member of that ticket, whether it's all the disrespect thrown, thrown towards President Biden or all the misogyny and disrespect thrown towards Madam Vice President, all of that is not taking action to save democracy in this country. Not one single tweet that does that. Not the debates with people, not the people saying, I'm not going to vote if I don't get this. All of that is not going to do a single thing to save democracy. The only way we save democracy is if people vote for Biden-Harris in 2024. And with that, thank you again so much for the time and I'll land my plane. That was beautiful, Ellen Z, as always. I so appreciate it. And I mean, um, true, all of that. And actually, you guys have you know been around me long enough to know um, that's the drum I'm always beating. And it's why, you know, I talk about the things that I do, because ultimately, um, the, the laws, the legislation, the dark money, all of it ties into our democracy. And although I advocate for a lot of other things that they are going after, like education and, um, you know, veterans rights, just a lot of things. None of those things will be possible without a democracy. We, we will not um, have uh, an opportunity to have a say about them at all. So it doesn't matter. So that first and foremost is what, you know, I'm here for and what I am fighting for, because we're really, um, like I said, uh, ever close to the edge and close to losing it, which is why I brought up um, Turkey and other democracies around the world, because it is not just a national issue. This is a global issue, a global movement and it is going to take all of us as citizens you know of our country but really of the world <laughs> to save democracy because ultimately that's what we are we are a representative democracy and the that um, representation has become distorted because of dark money because they are getting the representation so that appears as though that's what the people want, but it's not. It's been manufactured and um, crafted by dark money. So that's why, again, I keep talking about these things because they're all connected and ultimately connected to our democracy. So um, Liz, th um, LMC, thank you so much for, you know, just reminding us of that and keeping us abreast. Um, we're going to keep following the story. We're going to keep talking about it and we're going to keep talking about, you know, how what they're doing in one state has either already been done or will be replicated in other states because this is their playbook, you know, and they have actual organizations that have helped them craft and, and strategize these plays. One of them is a dark money funded group called ALEC, you know, the American um, uh, 
something legislative, uh, uh, I don't know, exchange, whatever. But basically, their whole thing is, you know, about crafting legislation that can be um, duplicated over and over and over again from one state to another. So, um, yeah, I am so glad that you made that the focus of your um, conversation, uh, a big part of it. So important. So with that, I'm going to say thanks. And uh, Geechee, if you will yield to Carrie, because she was here earlier and she had to leave. She waited patiently. So thank you so very much. And um, I'm going to give Carrie an opportunity to um, chime in and share with us and then Geechee. And I'm so glad to have both of you here today. Carrie? Whoops, my mic. <laughs> okay. I was Sorry. like, uh-oh, she had to go again. All right. Yep. We hear oh, you. I thought for sure I would have missed Geechee, so that's great. I'll get to hear him. I did miss the last hour, but um, I did hear, um, you know, uh, Susan speak and then LMZ just now, and um, I just wanted to address that, of course, you know, it's being duplicated, the horrible abortion bills in Nebraska and the six-week Abortion ban was defeated, which was wonderful because we didn't expect that. And um, what is interesting in Nebraska is that we do still have Republicans who vote with Democrats and Democrats who vote with Republicans. Um, so they don't always vote um, party lines. So that's where the, su the surprise um, came up. Uh, but now, of course, they're adding, they're changing the rules because the Republicans rule the, the legislative chamber, which is one chamber, um, so that they can tack on um, legislation to an existing bill to get it passed when they can't, you know, they found a loophole. So now they're trying to tack on the six-week abortion ban onto the anti-medical um, health uh, for minority uh, trans kids bill saying that they both affect uh, minority health or, or, or children's health. Um, so I don't know what the success is going to be with that, but they're just very cunning. And the bright side is that um, it has motivated white women who um, are, you know, uh, too um, much in a bubble that they don't vote or they're wanting to listen to, oh, maybe, yeah, Elizabeth Warren instead of Kamala Harris or no Biden, maybe, you know, uh, uh, Bernie instead of Biden. Those people are panicked, which is good. So they are not only mobilizing to try to stop this legislation, which we did do on the six-week band, but they're also coming out to vote. One of my friends who loves to say she's an independent voter, she held her nose to vote for the establishment incumbent Democratic uh, uh, mayor. <laughs> so it's like, well, thank you. Um, so I guess that's a bright side. But I mean, uh, that's what I focus on too. When listening to Susan is just to get out the vote for Democrats. I give up on MAGAs because there's just so many Democrats I know who get influenced by these ridiculous groups um, and talking points that come from the right and sneak into the left that hurt the discourse. Um, and make them, you know, so that they won't vote. Vote. There's too much. There's too many Democrats who don't vote. So it's trying to figure out how to get them out for the vote is what I'm concentrating on mostly, and mostly ignoring the MAGA. Um, 
Yeah, and I have more to say, but I'm anxious to hear what Geechee has to say, too. So I'll just talk another time. Thank you so much, guys. Well, thank you, Carrie. I appreciate that. Yes. And um, the fact that sometimes, yes, we do have Democrats who are, um, you know, busy disenfranchising us as well for, you know, many of their own um, personal reasons. Tiff um, talked about um, that, but also when you talk about the propaganda and some of their ideology, religion is a, um, a vein, a common vein that they pull a lot of people together in on. So um, I appreciate that you mentioned that. And even in this campaign uh, that I have up in the, the nest um, that was against the nominee for the FCC, there were a few democratic efforts that were, you know, pointed against her as well that joined in on the dark money campaign. So um, we just have to, again, it is politics and, and look at people's motives, but ultimately at the same time, it's not like we have to agree on everything, but we can certainly agree when, you know, your behavior is creating a danger to our democracy. And if you don't see it and we do, we're going to call it out. So again, that is another reason why I'm here and I'm so looking forward to hearing from Geechee and I'm going to try to bring my co-host back up. She's in here, but something is happening. So Geechee, looking forward to hearing from you and let me work on the the controls here to get my co-host in place. So how are you? I'm good. How are you? Normally I'm not up at this time, but how are you? I'm great. I know. I was, I'm always so grateful um, when you're able to... Um, join us and certainly when you're able to contribute it is always a wonderful treat so looking forward to it so uh talk to us what, okay. what you got um, going on I'm today to, i'm gonna try to stay on topic i've not slept in like 30 hours but i'm still trying to stay on topic um there's a lot of uh, of course sad and, and baffling things that are happening but i just want to start with actually some things that are positive um there was a abc news um Washington Post poll that came out, I believe, last Saturday, but it was all the Sunday shows ran with it. And last week, it showed that Joe Biden's approval rating was 36%. Um, and that was like the top line. But if you actually like dig deeper into the poll, it basically had that Biden's floor in polling was um, 53% if he was running, basically, if, he was, if Trump was the candidate that he was with, 53% of Americans would have a favorable view of, of Biden. And most likely, he would get that percentage of the vote. And then if it was, um, excuse me, that was against DeSantis. And if it was against Trump, it would be a little bit lower than that. Um, but he still would um, have a considerable amount of the country that um, was in support of him and favorable of what he's doing as president. And, of course, that poll was ignored, was blasted everywhere, excuse me. And then there were three other polls that came out last week. One with Biden at 48 percent, one with Biden at 47 percent. And then one towards the end of the week with Biden at 50%. And the media basically ignored those to the point that we had those two wonderful fools that are at Politico, um, Jonathan Martin and Alex Thompson, that just were just like hysterically, like this can't be the case, this can't be the case. Let's focus on bashing the VP and doing other things. But that poll showed other things too, that those media attacks that, oh, Harris is not being seen, Harris is not doing a good job. Harris is not likable. And the polling showed that she was doing actually better than Biden in the polling. And that all these attacks 
have led to either people liking her or Republicans hating her, but it's just Republicans. So it's not going to be favorable there because we have a hyper-partisan, hyper-polarized electorate. But in the case that when it came to independents and also others that did not know her, they just either did not know her, or if they didn't know her, they just thought that her name sounded familiar and they had a positive thought on it. And basically all the opposition to her came from GOP voters, and that was it. Not from Democrats, not from our coalition, not from all these other different parties. It was just Republicans. And she, of course, was um, at a positive place in that poll. And we've seen that over the last two or three years. As the media keeps uh, propping up Ron DeSantis, we keep getting poll after poll after poll showing that Donald Trump is, like, kicking his teeth in. And then if you match Ron DeSantis up against Biden or you line him up, especially against Harris, he's getting destroyed again. But instead of getting, like, Ron DeSantis is doing a bad job or Ron DeSantis is really bad at politics, or Florida has been really bad when it comes to putting up people on the presidential level to run. Instead, we're getting Harris can't do this, or Biden can't do this, or an immigration war is happening at the battle. So just stay positive. Continue to do the wonderful work y'all are all doing. I love seeing what y'all are tweeting about, all the things y'all are doing, and ready for this Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful elections we have this year, which I'm not going to spend as much time on, but then also next year when it really, really, really matters. That's one thing I wanted to talk about on a positive note. The other thing I want to talk about was the immigration battle. And I'm going to tie this in also with um, abortion, because I think there was really profound things that happened on the Sunday shows of how Republicans are trying to message things. On the Sunday show, I watch all. I always watch all three of them, and sometimes I watch the um, Jen Psaki one, and I rarely watch the one on CNN uh, or Fox. So I'm watching the one on the first one I watched was um, NBC Meet the Press, and then I watched um, this week, and they had two Republicans on. They were talking about immigration, and they all decided that they thought that it was unfair for the media to keep going after the DHS secretary and that we need to start or going after the vice president, but we really need to focus the attack on Anthony Blinken, not making the relationships that we need to make with the countries that people are coming here for a better opportunity. And I thought that was a really interesting pivot that they didn't want to attack the Cuban DHS secretary or the black and Asian woman that they thought it would be better to, to attack Blinken. I don't understand what that meant, but I just thought it was an interesting pivot. And then when I watched ABC this week, the Republican that was on there did the exact same thing. So obviously something scripted they're doing. I don't understand why they're doing it, but I thought it was interesting that they did that. But then it also took me to Nikki Haley. And Nikki Haley was on, I believe, oh, she was on um, Face the Nation. And she talked about abortion. And she talked about abortion in a way that was really, really, really vague, but also very opaque. And it was funny that I remember when she ran for governor, and there were a lot of people in the state that were conservatives in the state that thought that she wasn't a real conservative, that they knew her family history, they knew her husband was a, uh, um, as they would say, mealy-mouthed conservative, that he was just, like, conservative in name only. And the way she talked about abortion was, interesting well what are Bi- what is biden for they work where the country's for 
for like bet for stopping abortions at, at, at some point, at another point, at another point, and then the woman, the host of the show, kept pressing her, and she was like, "Well, what does that mean? What do you, what are you trying to say?" And she's like, "Well, I am really pro life, but I'm willing to have a consensus when it comes to when we would bo- um, ban abortion." And she talked about that. Well, South Carolina has a law that was supposed to go from to 15 weeks, but they rolled it back to 20 weeks, and they tried to do a ban at six weeks, but that was taken back. But I think there needs to be a consensus nationally on what that could be. And then she threw out, well, I want to know what the Biden administration number is. Is it 32 weeks? Is it 36 weeks? Is it 40 weeks? And the host like checked her on those numbers and she didn't like, I, I either was oblivious to her or, or was intentional on what she was trying to say. Because 32 weeks is eight months of pregnancy. And in polling, that seems to be what the consensus is for when it should be any restrictions on abortion, which is basically saying there should be no restrictions on abortion. And the Republicans are thinking that like 15 weeks is a middle ground. 15 weeks and and 32 weeks are like not the same. They're not even close, like not in the same stratosphere. So her pushing towards like 32, 34, 36, that's to me, like my mind, what she doesn't really either have a really passionate point on this um, issue, she doesn't really care about this issue, or she's playing politics on this issue. I don't know her well enough to know which one is which, but I thought that was really interesting that she rambled on, but I think she was rambling on in a way that was to try to either cloud the situation or this was like uh, a message to like swing, I don't believe there are swing voters, but a message to independent voters that may be compelled not to vote if she's the nominee on the Democratic side and compelled to vote if she's the nominee on the Republican side. I thought that was interesting. Um, and then I want to tie back to the other immigration part. And I think immigration is going to be an issue that only gets worse over the next 50 years. Because as climate change makes areas of this world close to inhabitable, uninhabitable, excuse me, we're going to have people like in areas like the Middle East or in Northern Africa or in Central America or parts of Southeast Asia that are going to have to flee to environments that are habitable. And that means you, the U.S., that means Europe, that especially means West Africa, Central Africa, uh, East Africa, um, it means other parts of Asia. And I am hoping and I pray that we are more welcoming to people that may be facing issues like famine than this planet has been in other times where we rejected people coming to other countries and a lot of those people died. Because what we know from the history of man is that People are not going to just sit in a location where it's impossible for them to live and simply die. And I hope as a country that we are willing to be humane or for all these, as I call them, fake Christians and fake Protestants and fake Catholics, and I'm of Catholic faith, but that uh, espouse to a faith that they don't actually follow 
that when it comes to families or women or children or, or, or young men coming to this country because there is no hope of where they're at, be it by violence or, or, or famine, that they're able to have that opportunity here. And a lot of people talked about work that immigrants do when they're here, but we are in a situation now where we are very close to full employment. And we are 12 to 14 million jobs short. And those 12 to 14 million jobs short means a a strain in our supply chain, and it means rapid inflation. And we can either be a country of bigots or a welcoming country of immigrants. And growing nations are always welcoming of immigrants, and dying empires are always hostile to them. And so I'm hoping that we are the prior as opposed to being the latter because I don't want to live in a country and I don't want to be part of a country and I don't I will never feel proud of a country that turns their backs on people in their worst or in their worst condition because of fear and because of hatred. And we should be better as Americans in regards to that. And of course it's interesting as we see all of these things going on in regards to immigration, that we see that that apprehensions and crossing the border are not the same thing. So like Biden administration having all these apprehensions doesn't mean people are actually crossing the border. It's like this weird, wonderful, and like strange thing that like Republicans couldn't figure out during the Obama administration where they kept having these record number of apprehensions that, that didn't mean that a lot of people were crossing the border. But when Trump was president or W was president or Reagan was president or Bush 41 president, there always seems to be people crossing the border with no hatred coming from that side. But the moment our Democrats in office, that all changes. And that's ridiculous. And my final thing, I'm going to be shorter today than I normally am. I'm not going to give the 60-hour um, sermon today. It's on the debt ceiling. And I am proud to see that Democrats are holding the line and sticking together, most of them, in regards to fighting this bet. There are a few scragglers like Joe Manchin. I am I am praying that Tester wins. I think I, I'm confident he's in a better position than the other three. I am hoping upon all hope that um, Sheriff Brown can hold on. That Those two alone will keep us in the Senate. I am confident very, very, very confident that um, Colin Alred is going to run well in Texas. And I'm also happy and elated to see where donors in Florida are looking towards a candidate to run against um, Lex Luthor, a.k.a. Um, oh, what is the damn name? Um, the governor, Ron um, what is his name? This my mind just went blank. Okay, I had a Rick Perry moment. Um, the former governor of, um, he's a senator now, Rick Scott, Rick Scott. Um, so I'm glad to see the direction in which they're going in regards to that. Um, but we have, and, and this is the, the where I'm closing this at, to understand where states are and how competitive they are, we know that there are these outlier groups these FBA, these ADOs, B1, B Square, B4, B12, um, bingo, 
all these wonderful people, excuse me, all these awful people that are doing everything they can to suppress the vote. So we have this RNC ad that comes out when Biden is at Harris with, of course, um, Lenar McKelvey, um, Charlemagne the Rapist, um, that is talking about how Joe Biden is racist. Um, something I'm sure his dad would slap the taste out of his mouth if he had heard him say that, or his mom would say that, but you know, the rapist has to say what the rapist has to say. And that's their introduction to the black community is Charlemagne the God. Of course, Charlemagne the God hosts the show that not a lot of black people watch. It's predominantly watched by teenage white boys. But, you know, of course, this is their 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 linchpin in going to uh, black people not to vote or to not show up or to be turned off by Biden to get other people to do that. And you would think that, okay, where would FBA or ADOS or any of these other con groups, where would they throw a rally at to help the Republicans the most and hurt Democrats the most? And I was like, oh, they're going to probably do this in Arizona. Or no, they'll do it in Georgia. They'll do it in Atlanta. Or they'll do it in Virginia, maybe Colorado. No, they went to Dallas, Texas, like the, the part of the state that Colin Allred or Democrats would have to do even better than they already do. Win Tarrant County by the margins of winning Harris County and Bexar County, where San Antonio is at. And then also flip some of those suburban counties. There's about three of them that are primed to be flipped. Do those things, and it should give them about the demographic um, push they would need or the heft they would need in order to flip the state. That basically would probably put them in a situation, instead of winning Latinos, excuse me, being 26% of the electorate, they're around 30% of the electorate, which is better, but it, of course it should be better than that since they are the plurality of voters in Texas. Um, but getting that number should bring Democrats above the threshold to winning the state by about a point and a half. So they are going to Dallas and they're bringing Kiki Wyatt. I don't know how many kids she has, maybe 36, 37. I'm not exactly sure. If somebody knows, can you please DM me? Um, then they're also bringing Eric Benet that seems to have lost whatever race he was. I guess Halle Berry messed his mind up so bad from all that cheating he was doing on her that he can't function correctly. But they're going to be the entertainment at this function. That includes a bunch of out-of-the-mainstream Muslims, a bunch of out-of-the-mainstream conservatives, and, of course, Marcel Greg Dixon to give a benediction to the Black people on how they're going to help them get reparations and how they're going to help them find their Indian um, heritage, which we most of us do not have. And that is going to be all the wonderful gifts and goodies they can give you. And for $600, okay, $300, you can also give a gift bag, too, which is probably filled with, like, 50 cent worth of knickknacks, but you can get that, too. And I just hope in this process that we can eliminate all of these heretics and all these Pharisees and all these others that are trying to profiteer on causing us to have pain. That's all I have. Um, sorry for rambling on. I am grateful that y'all are having this space today. It's good to be in the company of such wonderful people like Soul Sister and D. I'm glad you're doing these um, spaces and these wonderful, wonderful conversations with hosts that actually care about democracy and understand what's going on now. So such a great <laughs> upgrade you've made. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. Now, what what um, event is this where these uh, heretics are <laughs> participating again? Okay. <laughs> it is cold. I put it in the jumbotron too, and I, I apologize to anyone whose eyes were um, blinded um, by this foolishness. It's called. It's a tweet from Shantae um, or Shantizi. The foundational Black American Expo coming to Dallas, Texas. Oh my Hosted gosh. Hosted by Tariq Nasheed with special musical appearances by Kiki Wyatt and her 76 kids. And from Eric, I've slept with everybody in the Western Hemisphere, Benet. And also with special guests, King Cam, Riza the Islam, Vicki Dillard. Brother Ben X, Red Pill the Incel, Blue Pill the Incel, Erica Lachey, Oh my God. <laughs> Dr. Kaba Hameen. You know, we always had to have those good um, natural food supplements. Professor Honey, not Dr. Honey, baby, Professor Honey. And the sellout of all sellouts. Greg Marcel Dixon, zippity doodah, zippity day, my oh my, what a wonderful day. And this is on <laughs> Saturday, May 27th, 2023, starting at 10 a.m. at the Black Academy of Arts and Letters. And remember, for 300 whole dollars, you also get a special gift bag. Oh my God, Gitchi. <laughs> I'm dying over here, but oh my goodness, the grift is real and everybody's getting clued in on it. You know, everybody's, everybody's getting their take. trying to get paid. I, um, a, a good uh, member of this um, collective put us um, this like YouTube thing that shows of things, and you can see how much money they get on, um, it's called like Super Chat, where you can like tip to make comments or tip to be in there. There's a woman on there that's making like over almost $150,000 a year. One of these people, this Vicki Dillard, I don't know if she's related to some um, gospel artist or if she's like a, just a regular scam artist, but she's making $150,000 off tips off this alone. And it's just a grip. It is an absolute, I didn't even look up Tariq Nasheed. I'm sure he's making a lot of money. Has he opened up his museum yet? Well, that was what I was thinking on, on I, a gift bag. He's going to have a picture of the museum that doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah. He, or, yeah. Or, or it's like, um, what's the name of the woman? The one that was the, um, the um, Warren stand that was doing the the black um, library that never existed, but she pocketed all the money. Leslie, um, what is her name? She was fundraising to get a hug from her husband, a.k.a. Half Sex. Um what is her name? Leslie? Leslie Mack. Leslie Mack. So, yeah, the grift is on. The grift is on. Oh, my goodness. Well, Geechee, thank you again so much. <laughs> uh, that one uh, escaped me, but I can understand why. But it is important to know all the things that they are doing um, and, you know, call it out. I mean, we see it. Uh, and I, you know, hope that we can help a few other people to see it. Some of them like much like the MAGA, they're just bought in and, you know, they're just going to go along and they don't care. <laughs> so, But for those of us who are, 
concerned with democracy and want to absolutely call out those who are working actively against it, um, this was certainly um, a great moment. And um, you need to go back and listen and remember this. So again, Geechee, I thank you. Give me credit for and they don't care. <laughs> no, and your, your show announcement. I mean, that I got to make a clip. I got to find that. <laughs> that is awesome. That, that, it's, it's like a Joel Osteen conference. Exactly. With, uh, high, I could just powered. visualize all of this <laughs> as he was saying it. And just like you said, absolutely He's knowing that. another that should be in prison too. <laughs> exactly exactly so i mean they all have the kind of the same mo and sometimes it's interesting how they all get together and work together on their grift and, and this is one of those such cases so um again thank you and up next we've got uh kim uh i'm sorry uh, La, uh los uh, gatos um which i am glad to have you here then kim and then we're going to wrap it up and I thank you guys for joining us today for a wonderful conversation. Um, thank you for uh, letting me come up and speak um, today. I appreciate it. I wanted just to kind of touch on uh, what Gala was saying regarding Nikki Haley um, and the interview that she did on Face the Nation. Uh, I caught the the end of it um, this Sunday, and I found it very interesting um, mostly when I heard her talking about it, it immediately took me to Nancy Mays, who happens to be the um, Congresswoman for the first congressional district in South Carolina, which is located in the low country. And Nancy Mays' stance um, has been one of um, pro-choice, which is, you know, obviously rare in the Republican um, arena. Um, but Nancy Mays was, was raped and, um, I, I don't know how long ago it was, but she, she, you know, obviously openly speaks of this, um, to explain what, you know, her position on abortion, um, which is that she believes there should be, um, um, you know, obviously she's pro-choice. So Nikki Haley and Nancy Mays happen to be friends. Um, Nikki Haley um, worked with Nancy Mays during her reelection bid um, this past election um, in 2022. And um, so anyway, they're friends. And Nikki Haley's stance definitely rings very similar In essence, it's, you know, it's very similar by leaving the door open and saying, hey, I don't believe in in abortion for myself, but I am willing to um, to uh, compromise on that. Um, You know, she's trying to set herself, obviously, apart from the rest of the Republican um, field, because Nancy Mace has said um, that abortion is a losing issue for the Republicans. And the only, you know, real way to try to combat that is to have, you know, a more moderate stance. So, you know, Nikki Haley's mirroring that and what she's been saying and, you know, in the hopes of appealing to, you know, white Republican and independent women, um, 
or at least certainly that's my take on it. And also what, what I thought when, you know, Nikki Haley was speaking about her stance on abortion, it kind of reminded me a little bit, and y'all don't think I'm crazy, but on, on Biden's stance on abortion, where he says, you know, personally, you know, he's, you know, he's uh, pro-life, but, you know, his Catholic views or his views on abortion um, wouldn't be something that he would impose on anyone else and that women should, you know, should have the ability to, um, you know, to make those decisions with, with their physicians. So it, um, you know, it certainly reminded me of that, um, of his stance as well. Um, and then the 36 to 40 week, um, when she was saying that she wanted to see what the Republic, what the Democrats stands or what, what Joe Biden was saying as far as, you know, how many weeks, what's their stance on it. And she was saying, you know, 36 to 40, that again, that was just her way of separating herself from this moderate stance that she's taking and making the democratic stance as something just, um, you know, very radical, very, you know, by saying, Hey, there are no limitations. You can have, you know, an abortion, um, until maybe, you know, up to the day that you give birth. So anyway, that's just my, my, my take on that. Well, that's, well, that's interesting. And I, um, like, um, you said, I, I feel like you're, there's probably truth in that, uh, trying to capture, um, you know, some other voters in there. And um, it is um, interesting how you kind of compared it to the president's stand. And I mean, we, we all have always understood that and he's always made that clear. So I, I appreciate you coming in and joining us in the conversation and it, leave it always to Geechee to spark some more commentary. So <laughs> thank you uh, again. And um, again, Geechee, for bringing us, you know, some of the political candidates um, and what they're doing, you know, how they're framing um, their their narratives around certain issues, because I do think it's important. And I think um, when you pointed out that you heard two of them, you know, take a, a stance that seemed kind of strange to you, we definitely do need to take note when that happens, because we know that they, they work with the playbook and um, kind of feed off of each other and what they're doing. So I'm going to take um, a look at that. Had, did you do any tweets about that, Keiichi? Just curious. Um, no, I didn't. Okay. So uh, tell me again, remind me, because um, I forgot the two candidates that you talked about who... They were, that... there were two Republicans. One was on uh, Meet the Press and the other one was on this week. They had the Democrat on to speak first. Um, mm -hmm. On Meet the Press, it was the senator, uh, the junior senator from, or maybe it might be the senior senator. No, it's the junior senator. Um, the junior senator from Connecticut. And on ABC, the first guest was, oh, this, I know the Republican. The first, the Republican on Meet the Press was Will Hurd. It was, um, okay. He was the Republican. And on the second one was, Oh my goodness, 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 goodness. I can see his face. I think he's also from Texas. Also, name is, is 
bleeding me, and I can't remember who the Republican was first. I mean, the Democrat was that spoke first on. Oh, it was Mayorkas that spoke first on um on ABC. So it was Mayorkas and the Republican on NBC. It was the junior senator from Connecticut, Chris Murphy. It was Chris Murphy, and then it was um, Will Hurd, who's a black Republican from they used to represent a district near El Paso. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And up next, we've got Kim, and then we're going to uh, wrap it up. I'm going to um, give uh, my um, co-host an opportunity, um, but Liz, uh, uh, I'm sorry, LMZ, I'm not sure why my vision is slipping today, but LMZ. Uh, So go ahead, Kim. Um, well, one of the things I want to mention about Nancy Mace is her district is purple too. So she, you know, she's seen in a suburban district that is a lot of uh, white women who don't want to get rid of uh, abortion um, rights. And, and um, also, you know, Nancy uh, Nikki Haley saying thirty-six weeks. You know, the usual standard is twenty weeks. Uh, right. U- U.S. is actually pretty advanced, on, a little bit ahead of some countries. Um, most about one percent of abortions happen after that. Almost all of them. A good, you know, almost all of them are for the life of the mother, um, so uh, or in complications. So that's the other issue, and so that should be the pushback from the media when when they throw out these numbers. Um, also, when um, Gichi was talking about with the uh, immigration, I remember, you know, we had a similar economy in the early two thousands, coasting from the Clinton economy into the Bush era, and we had almost full employment. At the same time, we had about ten or eleven million people undocumented even you know but they were working and they weren't causing huge unemployment as people including fbaers claim um but i remember for the des moines iowa mayor soliciting on the radio <laughs> for mexican immigrants or immigrants from the south south of central america to come to iowa because it was one of those states that was losing population of white population um you know, people were fleeing to, you know, the younger generations were fleeing to other places, but they still had, you know, they needed jobs for workers who in construction and especially at that time when the housing boom was happening, um, but in all kinds of jobs and service jobs and whatnot. So they were inviting <laughs> and saying, hey, please come here. Um, but because of the Trump era where they've turned immigration in this dirty word, you know, and they have to show that they're bullies towards immigrants. The states and the cities that are starting, you know, are seeing, you know, uh, underemployment and they, they cannot get people to work, <laughs> you know, like there's not enough workers. They have to, I mean, I went to the DMV once because they didn't, and then I had to go to a different location because they didn't have enough workers for it um, that day. So, uh, but that's happening everywhere and in all kinds of industries, especially service industries and, and construction. Um, and, you know, and, and these are jobs that a lot of times any, any immigrant can do or anybody can do. But they would rather, these are country, states that would rather reverse child labor laws 100 years and more and get children work and cleaning in slaughterhouses uh, and working in backs of kitchens or whatever, you know, stick them back down in the mines. I don't know what they're going to do. But, but other than get people who are adult immigrants who are capable and able to work. Uh, Trump has hired undocumented workers for decades on end. If you really want to make concerted effort about immigration reform, the first place you would start is punishing the employers who benefit the most from the broken system. Because as soon as you start fining them or jailing them and calling them illegal, is <laughs> the second they'll be pushing uh, 
legislators, hey, we need to have some comprehensive immigration reform because we haven't had any in over about 40 years. And even then that was kind of watered down at that time. So, you know, we need to have comprehensive immigration reforms. Democrats have been willing to vote for it for, for every single case that is truly comprehensive, that is true, truly fair. Um, in the last 40 years, Republicans are the ones who re- refuse to do so. And they're refusing to fund it right now, especially with their debt ceiling claims. You know, McCarthy wants to cut 22% off everything. So that includes Border Patrol, right? Um, so, again, we have we need to have an honest discussion. But re- Republicans don't want to have that honest discussion because, A, they think that the browning of their state means their state's going to go more Democratic. That's one thing. B, they've already staked the claim and using immigration as a cultural war issue, especially since the Trump era. As long as they're still a Trump cult, basically, it, they can't be conciliatory or honest and kind <laughs> towards immigration reform. The last thing I want to bring up is um, in my state of Ohio, and this is happening in a lot of states, by the way, but in August 8th. Um, so what they're seeing is, you know, a lot of these states, especially red states, they're able to the, the population, the citizens are able to create these ballot initiatives. And one of the major ballot initiatives of, of the last year or so have been these abortion ballot ballot initiatives, but other, others include expanding Medicaid. Some are like, you know, some of the states that have uh, marijuana, uh, recreational marijuana. They're, they're being created because of these ballot initiatives. And the state of Ohio is trying to, the Republicans of the state are trying to make it so that it's more difficult to pass them. So they've noticed that say the abortion ballot initiatives in some of the red states are passing with a good majority, like 57, 58%, but not 60%. So they're, they're trying to make it so that those ballot initiatives at, that are uh, citizen generated have to pass because some of them are, are legislative generated by the legislature, but um, this are, are passed with 60% or more approval. They're upping the amount of um, signatures you have to ta- have. They're upping the number of uh, counties that, you know, people from uh, there, some counties, it's not every single county has to have it. It could be only like tw- half the counties. They're upping the number of counties of people and that percentage of, of, of signatures they have to have. Um, and so this is becoming a problem because they, this in, in our, our, my state more voter suppression tactic. It's a voter suppression <laughs> tactic, and it's also trying to because you know they know that these initiatives are sometimes used to, to get voters to come out, um, but it's also a way to um, basically make it so that those initiatives that have been passed in by by the citizens because red state legislatures have been slow on the uptake. Um, and also, some if even if they get passed, they're also helping to create more um, buzz about certain. You know, if if it's a more right wing or left wing policy, then you get more. You know, single. It might, there are some people who are single issue voters on abortion, single issue voters on um, marijuana legalization, and so you're more likely to get people who support that initiative to actually come out and vote. So this is happening on August eighth in Ohio. And so, but it's happening in a lot of other states too. And so, and, and in this case, it's the only thing on the ballot because the, the uh, Secretary of State just passed a law that says you can't have any more of these August initiatives because they were ones that were often bringing out the people. It, it was like a single issue, but if it's at your issue, you're coming out to vote. So he just got rid of those, but he's putting this on August because he he knows you know, and it's going to try to confuse it because he knows not enough people know what the, spe- you know, it's not a specific issue 
like it's not marijuana legalization, it's not abortion, but it's going to stop future attempts to do so, or at least try to prevent that. So uh, I want people to be mindful of the one in Ohio. If you're in Ohio specifically, vote on August because it's the only thing on the ballot that day, <laughs> that day. But also be mindful of this as a practice that's happening throughout the country. Yeah, thank you so much. I saw that story, and I'm glad that you, as a you know someone who lives in the state, you know has um, you know is aware of and and is bringing it to the conversation. Because again, I just see it as another way, um, you know, that they are seeking to suppress votes. And when people like um, try to work to overcome their voices that are being suppressed, then they just uh, come up with more ingenious ways to um, subvert them or stop them from galvanizing um, any pushback again. So thank you so much. It's interesting uh, all the ways that they come up with to um, implement their uh, theocracies and um, autocracy um, in governing their, their style. So um, with that, um, you, spark, um, you sparked something, then Kevin, I'm going to give him an opportunity, then LMZ, and then Soul Sister, and we're going to close out today. And I thank you guys for what I believe has been a wonderful conversation, informative and inspiring, as always. And I thank everyone who's participated. Yeah, real quickly, I just, you know, I wanted to, you know, build off of that whole premise of, you know, how they want to do everything that they can to prevent immigration and to prevent the tanning. Let's I want to I, I don't like calling it the browning. I like calling it the tanning of America. It, it's the, the you know it, 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 I think it's more polite to say it that way. Personally, um, you know it's our country is and always will be, as I termed it in the way I grew up learning it was the great melting pot but you know i think you know no matter how how you skin it and how they try to impede it they're never gonna stop this i mean you know they they try to do it because they don't like the fact that they want to prevent a further democrats (laughs) democratization of those states that are heavily Republican, all right, they don't want that huge Democratic growth in their states. But it, it, it's it's happening, you know. They can put you know checks and whatever they want to call it, if they want to call it checks and balances in place, or you know impediments to prevent it from going faster than it is. But sooner or later, it's going to catch up to them, and there's just nothing they can do uh, to increase the amount of people that support true democracy and not their pigeonholed, you know, narrow-minded, the you know, the so-called great white replacement theory boogeyman, you know, please. Because eventually their their harmful, hurtful policies come back to affect the people who initially are supporting them because yeah. that's just what they do. And, you know, some people will be slow to see that. It's only when they're they're in the jaws of, of whatever it is. But, you know, some of yeah. us do and we'll keep sounding the alarms. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very narrow-minded and, and you know, singular-minded you know, thought processes that it, they're just not going anywhere. It, it, it's just, it's, it's so 
so you know wrong-minded you know wrong-headed but you know that's the way they are you know they don't see the greater bigger picture you know all they see is their narrow-minded vision of the way that they want it to be i agree um so thank you so much kevin and like i said we're gonna be here to keep calling them out um and with that i'm gonna go to lmz and then soul sister and i'm gonna close this out well, I'll be real um, brief, Misty. I really will, since you gave me time, you and Soul Sister earlier. Um, but I'll just I'll just finish up with with um, <laughs> the saying: "Everything old is new again." Um, you know, people say history might not repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. And there's two things that are happening right now that I think people should be aware of. And I hope most people in advocacy arena are, but maybe it's the type of thing to just share as a friendly reminder to share with others. So the first would be that the exact same playbook that the media did in 2015 and 2016, they're doing right now. Play for play, line by line. Every single thing that they did to get Donald Trump elected into office, they enabled, they helped they are the 12th man. <laughs> um, they're the man on the bench. All those things that we have for sports analogies or whatever. That is what the mainstream media was for the Donald Trump campaign. I don't know if Danny, she is in here. Hi, Danny. Shout out to Danny and the most wonderful Fourth Estate series, which highlights the mainstream Thank media. Thank you. I was there. trying to get her to yes. come up today, but I know sometimes it's tough for her. But yes, yes she did a but, fabulous job. Yeah, so she should get credit for that. So of course, and, and I don't I want to take any credit for all the work that that Miss Danny did and Dawn is her co-host in the Fourth Estate series. But so everything's old is new again. They are doing the exact same thing. We won't go into it, but that town hall last week, that's the exact same thing. Um, and that we don't have to discuss in this space that it shouldn't have happened and that they picked Caitlin Collins and all that. That's, everybody already knows. It's the exact same thing. The narratives that they put out here, the whataboutisms that they put out here, um, the way they frame stories. I mean, even in my state... There was thousands of people to watch the veto on Saturday, and there were a few anti-abortion protesters, less than two dozen. Guys, I'm not exaggerating. That's facts. Less than two dozen. Do you not know that the largest newspaper in my state on the front page showed a picture of the less than two dozen anti-abortion, anti-choice protesters? and did not show a picture of the huge rally with thousands of people until page 2A, and did not show a picture of our governor until a smaller box until like page 11A. This You can't make this up if you try. This is all intentional. They are building narratives and doing the exact same thing. So it's the same thing. I know Tiff already broke it down. I don't want to repeat it. But the narrative that we just saw about this non-existent border crisis 
is the same narrative the media has helped them do around non-existent drag queens hurting and harming us, non-existent trans individuals supposedly attacking our freedoms and civil liberties in bathrooms. All of these things are not happening. All of these things are not happening, but yet the media continues to allow them to have the loudest voices, the most prevalent voices, and give the most airtime to things like that. So that's number one. It is an exact replica of 2016's campaign. The other thing is that last week was the 90th anniversary of the book bannings in Nazi Germany to the date to the year, to the date, to the day of the month, 90th anniversary. Okay, so, so far in our country, they may not have started to actually light the pages of the books on fire, but they have banned books all across this country. They have taken books all across um, elementary schools, high schools, and middle schools. They have taken books all across libraries. They have defunded libraries on local levels. They have harassed librarians. They have protests at libraries. They have rewritten a Rosa Parks book so that it doesn't even say um, that she was asked to move because she was a black woman in that seat. So now it just says she was asked to move from her seat. I mean, th this is what's happening. So I know that the books aren't on fire yet, um, but they're doing all that they can to, to ban that. And so when you understand that 90 years ago, and there are people that are still alive from that, or people that have direct connections to that, um, just like the descendants of enslaved people are still very much alive and have the stories of, of that um, atrocity, of that crime against humanity, and the effects of that, um, that just happened. Fascism just happened, and fascism is already here. So all the things that we're discussing about in this space is not about what's coming or what may happen in the future or what we need to be prepared for. It is already here. So for the people in your life that are arguing or are being obstinate or have apathy or whatever their situation may be, and maybe it's, it's you know, well-placed, but I stay in my lane. And what I can tell you is that for white people who are still trying to play the fence about they're going to vote for Donald Trump, they're going to vote for the GOP candidate, they're going to vote for a Green Party candidate, or they're actually out here amplifying chaos agents, Marion Williamson or RFK Jr. They are only doing this to uphold white supremacy. So you don't have to challenge them on that. I'm not telling anybody to challenge them on that. That's things that I can do. But be very aware that any white person in your life, no matter what they say to you about it's abortion or it's this or it's immigration, I don't want migrants taking jobs from us or whatever vile lie they come up with. Fascism is here. So what they are saying is that they would be standing with Nazis and Hitler 90 years ago and that they would not hide or help Anne Frank and her family in that attic. They would not. 
That is what they are saying. And so I want everybody to be very clear on that. Since white people have a good job of coming up with their excuses and the mainstream media, white mainstream media, has a great way of trying to explain to us why we should listen to Klan's members and white supremacists and white nationalists. And they want a whataboutism and both sidesism and all that kind of stuff. That is all that they are doing at this point. They can sugarcoat it as much as they want. They can wrap it in a pretty bow. They can make it some cultural issue. They can say it's something about, you know, something in some book that they're banning a Toni Morrison book. They're banning Judy Bloom books. Whatever they want to come up with. Sleeping Beauty because <laughs> pornography. Okay. Pornography. Exactly. No matter what vile excuse comes out of a white person's mouth in this year of May of 2023 and moving on that they will not support the Democratic Party and they have their excuses and their huffs and their puffs and their blackmails and what they must have first and their quid pro quos. They are doing it to uphold white supremacy and fascism. History may not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And our history is rhyming with Nazi Germany right now. And when I say that, people act like I'm an alarmist, I'm hysterical, I'm doing too much, blah, blah, blah. But really, I would be remiss if I didn't speak out and say what's really happening. And that's what people did back in Nazi Germany, too. Some people listened. Some people didn't. You see what the consequences was for the majority of people that did not listen or heed the warnings of the danger of Hitler and his fascism and his Nazi regime. And then the president says at Howard University this weekend that white supremacy is our greatest threat. Christopher Ray testified that very thing when Donald Trump was in office to our Congress in November of 2019. This is not new news. This is not breaking news. The FBI said white domestic terrorism was our greatest threat when Trump was in the White House in November of 2019. But look at how the media has spinned it. Look at how the media has spinned it. Look how people have had a meltdown over what President Biden said at Howard's graduation ceremony this weekend. But he said facts. He said facts. So why is that that people are so upset? Because they don't want you to know the real truth about what's happening. They don't want you to pay attention to the, what the greatest threat is to all of us is white supremacy. And that is all of us because actually white supremacy does hurt white people as well. Not the worst. Of course not. And I would never center ourselves that way. But if you really want to be educated about it, then you would know that white supremacy actually harms everyone, including white people. So um, with that, we will continue the fight and um, do what you can to resist and hold the media accountable for the way that they continue to fail us and enable um, white supremacy in all levels of our government. And with that, I will land my plane. Thank you so much, Ms. D and Soul Sister. Well, thank you for giving us a word. I love it. Um, and it's all true. And um, P 
people should pay attention because it is very much rhyming and they would not, they, they don't want people to see and understand uh, the danger zone that we stand in. And we absolutely are. Now, as you say, they're not burning books yet. Oh, but some of them are. Because early on, when the book banning fetish started, uh, we had a minister here who um, had a special um, book burning party for his congregation. Yes, ma'am. So, yes, they are doing it. And um, we need to pay attention and understand like this is not this is not normal. It's not politics as usual. This is us trying to save our democracy. And it's just not about a difference in policy stance. This is about our ability to have um, freedom, autonomy over our own bodies, over everything, a right to vote. Uh, the right to move uh, across state lines to take care of things if we want to. All of these things matter. And they are trying to center them on cultural issues that uh, they know get people fired up. But at the end of the day, it covers a great deal more. Some of these states, mine is at the top would like to recreate The Handmaid's Tale. In a lot of ways, we're living it because my state is one of those that has banned abortion. Six weeks, six weeks before people even realize that they are pregnant. So we're not even talking about 15, 16, six weeks. And they were so excited about taking women's rights away that they put in a trigger law and after Roe overturned it, they couldn't even wait for, you know, the time period, which was 30 days from it being overturned. They wanted to speed it up and they sped it up. And it also is one of those that has no exception for rape, for the, you know, um, potential loss of life uh, of the no exceptions. And people are already starting to be harmed by this, like patients who may become pregnant, but also doctors who may be practicing here or who may have thought about practicing here. We are losing people in that profession. And uh, no one, like you were saying, LMZ, you know, they're talking about a difference in a few weeks or whatever, but at the end of the day, it is still about banning abortions because doctors do not want to get caught up in legalities of a month here or a week there. or that They are not going to jeopardize what has likely been, you know, you know 15 years of their lives and, and schooling um, because of a law. They are going to at least opt on the side um, to be able to continue practicing. So uh, we are at a very, very dangerous place and make no mistakes about it, no matter how the media tries to spin it, both sides it, none of that stuff. We're in the danger zone and they keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And one of these things that we need to be paying attention to is this withdrawal 
from the ERIC system, the election system that all states uh, until now uh, were participating in. This is them building up uh, scenarios for them to be able to say um, the election isn't, uh, you know, being done properly, uh, properly, you know. Also, opportunities for them to put some of the rigging in place that they so like to um, claim as being done by others. But I thank you all, and I am going to allow my fabulous co-host to give us some words before we close out, and then I'm going to give you uh, what I hope is always a inspiring reading uh, from John Lewis to keep us diligent, ever fighting, knowing that, you know, Sometimes um, we don't get what we're fighting for, but we still keep fighting because it is not, you know, uh, just a one and done thing. The, the fight for our democracy, every generation. And this is our time. And we are teaching the younger generations um, how to do it as well and helping them uh, to gain the tools and, and power that they need to do it. So, Soul Sister, over to you, my dear. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dee. Um, it, you know, it, the, holding this space, the advocacy arena, is um, it, it cannot be um, dismissed or downplayed that it is always timely. Um, just, if you just look through your timelines, you'll notice that the, what we're talking about in here isn't, they're, they're not things that are um, old news or um, irrelevant news. It's news that uh, the country is talking about right now. And these are conversations that we need to have. And um, what I really appreciate about this space the most is uh, you get so much information in here and you get um, you get talking points where you're not talking at people, you're actually talking with people and having conversations. For instance, uh, something that Los Gatos said earlier, I believe it was Los Gatos, um, forgive me if it, if it should be attributed to someone else, but I wrote it down, you know. Um, she was talking about how Biden, um, how his personal beliefs didn't impose on um, his view of how others should be allowed to um, make decisions in regards to body bodily autonomy, you know, and abortion. Um, and that really kind of stuck with me because that was a point that I made over the weekend um, when, when I was visiting with my nephew and his um, church family, you know, it was, it, there was, we we're talking about menopause actually. So, you know, seemingly innocuous after I'd had my uh, political moment with them and, you know, the pastor's wife says, and, you, you know, because of this, this, there's no way that someone who puts on lipstick and a skirt can tell me that they are a woman because they don't go through this. And I said to her, and how does that affect you and who you are? Why, why does that matter to you? You know, and basically what I was trying to get her to understand or see at that moment was that someone making a decision about how they were choosing to live in this world and um, seek their own happiness in this world, which was not harming her or affecting her or anyone for that matter, um, in any way, should not be something that she spent 
so much energy on trying to oppress. And I think um, when we're having conversations, that is something that we will have to remind people over and over again. Uh, you, you don't have to necessarily agree with every single point. You don't have to be in love with this politician and think that, oh, if they came over or you saw them in the grocery store, they, you know, you guys are going to strike up this conversation and you're going to be best friends and, you know, go shopping and vacation and, you know, have dinner and drinks with. But you do absolutely have to vote consciously in order to do the least amount of harm to the most amount of people. And that is what is so encouraging about being in this space is that, uh, you know, while we are defending democracy, we're not doing it for a small section of uh, this country's population. We are doing it so that we lead by example and what democracy and freedom actually means to the most people. And hopefully, if we do it correctly, if we're strong enough to really fight and battle and stand up against fascism and authoritarianism and, and autocrat autocratic, uh, you know, mind thinks, that we will have accomplished something for the greater good and hopefully it will reverberate out globally. And we will make this idea and this dream of a better world, a better tomorrow, a reality, or at least closer to that reality than we were the last, you know, after the last fight or the last battle. And that's what I hope that um, everyone gets to take away from this. So thank you so much for uh allowing me to be in this space with you and thank you Dee for allowing me to be up here with you um I appreciate it and um I just enjoy these um conversations they keep me um fed so thank you have a great um afternoon everyone well thank you so much and I am grateful to you for being uh my co-host and for helping to bring uh, great uh, information and insight um, to the uh, spaces that we have and to the conversation and uh, to all of you who come in regularly uh, to support and to contribute, whether that's actively in the conversation or just actively listening in the gallery. I see you, we see you, and we appreciate your support because I know that what we're doing here is like Susan goes out and she's listening to these other conversations and uh, some of these conversations can get quite depressing when you're hearing people who truly have been, you know, um, have bought into all of the propaganda and um, that they really, their thinking and their behavior pose uh, imminent danger to us. I think that um, it is important for us to know um, what they're saying um, so that we can be aware uh, to combat uh, the false narratives that the media is um, continuing to put out and understanding that they have learned nothing. And even if they learned, they are not willing to act on the lessons that they have learned because for them, the, um, you know, the, um, 
money and um, the ratings are much Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> I had a phone call um, and um, trying to uh, coordinate things here. But yeah, as I was saying, I uh, think it is important for us to call out uh, the media, the good and the bad, and to stay focused, continue having these conversations. And, you know, I don't do it often, but I am going to um, read the quote by Martin Muller, who is the uh, Protestant minister who was complicit in the um, Nazi um, regime until he wasn't, until uh, he started to see uh, what they were doing. And he penned this quote because I feel like that's where a lot of us are. You know, you start, uh, people are being targeted, other uh, marginalized communities and voices, and um, people are chiming in on this because it's not affecting them until it does. You know, and you can even look at this as, you know, states like, you know, you're living in a state where mm, this is, this legislature, uh, legislative bill isn't affecting you until it does, because we know they, they replicate this stuff. So um, I want to read his quote again, and it um, begins with, first, they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. So again, just a reminder, uh, as LMZ has told us, our history is rhyming with um, the, that period of Nazism and we must pay attention and we must continue to speak out, fight, um, in every way that we can, in every, you know, arena that we're able to. Uh, we can't all do everything, but we can all do something, and we absolutely all need to be doing something. Um, our democracy depends on all of us, um, and it requires all of our um, engagement and involvement, and only you know what that can be for you, but we cannot afford to have people who are not actively, civically engaged at this time in our history. It is, um, you know, a time like no other. It is a time that uh, it's an inflection point. It will determine uh, the future of our country, truly, how it is governed. And um, 
you know, we don't all have to agree on everything, but if you agree that people should have a right to the autonomy of their own body and, you know, and the right to express themselves, you know, just basic kinds of rights, um, then you need to understand there is only one party in this country right now who is fighting for people um, to be able to continue to have that right. And there is one party who is seeking in every way possible to uh, not uh, govern us, but rule us and rule us with a, a ideology that is um, very um, twisted and very intolerant. And um, we are a very tolerant nation, uh, but we need to learn how not to tolerate intolerant behavior and people because it is that very, those very same people who will eventually, you know, excess out and we won't be tolerated. So in our tolerance for other people, we have to draw the line at the intolerant, cruel, um, inhumane behavior and ideology that this other party is working to promote. So I'm just going to leave you with the hopeful words of the late, great Representative John Lewis to keep you strong and hopeful in that fight and just encourage you to keep making noise and get trouble. And these words are, do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. So I just wanna thank you guys for all coming out again, like I said today, and getting in good trouble with Soul Sister and I. And I um, ask that you you know, share, retweet the video for those who may not have been able to, to join and listen, because I do think that we had some uh, great contributions made today and we need to keep that um, good information flowing and accessible to uh, good uh, critical thinking people. So uh, with that, I am going to leave you all with peace and blessings for a wonderful week ahead. And I know you guys are going to stay informed and stay woke. So counting on seeing you again in the next advocacy arena. So until then, take care, peace and blessings. <laughs>